Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, as always, Liam Edwards, and thank you for joining me once again for the 70th episode of the show and to banish another somehow willing games industry member to a deserted place where they can only take eight games to play with them for the rest of their days. Joining me this week is once again another member of the gaming YouTube space. Having had my friends Gaijin Hunter, Sunder, and Super Bunny Hop on the show previously, I thought it was high time for another. But this week's guest, you won't see him ever presenting any of the videos that go up on the channel he created, or even appearing in them at all. Yet, he's in charge of one of the most influential and popular video game YouTube channels on the site. He first created his channel, Did You Know Gaming, back in 2012, wanting to create a video game trivia-centric channel that focused on talking about facts, history, and general knowledge about almost any aspect of video games. The channel since then has covered almost every known popular series, character, creator, and more. It's also grown to become one of the biggest video game channels, boasting well over 2 million subscribers. It's a fantastic channel that I have been subscribed to for, I think, four years now? Quite a long time. Um, he works with some of our favorite YouTubers and personalities on these videos, having guest voiceovers for each video. He's also one member of the very popular YouTube group, Normal Boots, a group that actually consists of two of my absolute favorite creators on YouTube, Pro Jared and Gerard the Completionist, which is very exciting. After the success of Did You Know Gaming, he's gone on to work and collaborate with other creators and create such incredible stuff such as VG Facts. He worked with MatPat of Game Theory to create Did You Know Movies. He's even featured as a cameo character in a Normal Boots fan game called Asagao Academy. I'm incredibly excited to say that joining me this week is the master of all facts and trivia about video games, the lovely Mr. Shane Gill. Hello, Shane. Oh, that last bit, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm certainly not a master of anything. Well, it seems now you've, you've, you've created something that is almost the be-all and end-all of nerd discussion between friends now <laughs> it's I, I i feel like whenever someone argues about something related to video games a fact or a piece of trivia they're gonna immediately they're gonna be like, but i saw it on did you know gaming yeah. or they're gonna be like let's check did you know gaming <laughs> oh, that that's whenever i'm in a room as well people turn to me expecting me to know everything i'm like i, I, I don't know what you're talking about sorry <laughs> It's really funny because um, I've sort of garnered a reputation of being able to retain useless knowledge about video games, and people are always quite surprised that I know at least a little something about most things. Yeah. And it comes from watching too many videos <laughs> like <laughs> yours. <laughs> uh, so thank you for that. No problem. My reputation is intact because of your handiwork. <laughs> uh. Oh. How are you doing today, Shane? Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. I finally caught you in uh, what you described as a zigzag yeah. on the schedule. <laughs> yeah, we finally zigzagged over each other's path. Yeah, we did. And it's it's nice to have uh, another Brit, like a, like a finally another UK person. But we both do not live in our, in our <laughs> <Yeah>. respective country. <laughs> oh, we both so uh, flew in, the nest. Yeah, we, 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 we flew the coup uh, to someone else. So how long have you been in New York now? Uh, since the end of last year, 2016, technically. But I finally like got everything sorted out and moved into a place uh, in January. Okay, so, you know, getting on for a year. Yeah, a year's um, coming up. 
getting getting yourself set down. So, you know, we were talking a little bit before we jumped on and we finally got the audio rolling. Um, you know, having did did you know gaming for what four years uh, um, in the UK? From there, how's it yeah. how's it been going in in America? Is it a lot easier to sort of do your work? Because I know you go to a lot of conventions and stuff like that now. Um, well, it's a lot easier to get to conventions because it takes eight hours off my flight time. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> um, the actual work, um, it's a little bit easier to like connect with people and like work with people and because you can like actually go and hang out and stuff like that. Can't, yeah. can't really hang out that much in like a Skype call or a Discord chat or anything. Yeah. But it's a bit easier to get yourself over. Well, that's the thing is a lot of, especially considering you are a part of uh, Normal Dudes, which is that YouTube group yeah. that consists of almost entirely American-based YouTubers. <laughs> um, so I imagine being at a place where, you know, you could hop on a plane from New York to California or somewhere. I know a lot of them are spread out, but you sort of all sort of tend to meet in the middle for conventions yeah. and stuff like that. The, so, the, yeah. Um... They're all kind of uh, in Seattle right now, actually, I think, besides uh, Gerard. Yes, uh, uh, pro Jared. Jared has just moved over there, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, after his unfortunate oh, his, um, his house flooded disaster. Yes, yeah. um, which was not nice uh, at all. <laughs> Poor guy. I'm very, from the, uh, telling from the pictures, I don't know, anyone who's listening to the show who follows Pro Jared or, you know, subscribes to him on YouTube will sort of know that he had recently had a very devastating house flooding or something, uh, like a water pipe yeah. burst. I and think, I up, think uh, a water pipe burst while they were away and just destroyed everything in the basement and the first floor of the house. Wow. Wow, crazy. Um, but yeah, having those guys and um, being on that side of the world and being able to connect with them, I imagine, is a lot easier. Uh, one thing I did want to ask you, actually, is how did you get involved in Normal Boots anyway? Because you are the guy from the outside. You, you know, you don't uh, appear in videos. You, uh, yeah, Which is I, something yeah. I'll ask about anyway. Um, but like, you, you don't appear in videos. You're based in the UK. You were getting these guys to do like voiceovers and stuff like that, but you know they're like a hardcore group of popular YouTubers who got together. How did you end up like you know well being associated with that? Uh, they weren't very popular when I first met them. That's how <laughs> <laughs> getting yourself in early. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, before I did uh, did you know gaming, I used to be um, an artist for an artist slash graphic designer for games. And mm. um, I made pixel art. That was like my main focus. And okay. um, when Normal Boots was still really young, I think it only be, the site had only been up for like a couple of weeks. Uh, I like posted my art on the forums at the time, and um, and they were just like, "This is great. Will you like do our logos and stuff?" And I was like, "Yeah, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, sure thing. I don't mind. I'll like." Uh, I'm fans of your videos. I'll make these logos for you and like spruce up the site's web design and stuff. Oh, okay. So you do you did the original normal boots logo, the like the two boots yeah, going yeah. down. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. The the very first one was actually just uh Link's boots from Ocarina of Time, just like the actual sprite rip. 
from the gang. <laughs> so, so I redrew it, redrew it for them. So it was like a custom piece of art, and then that was like the first thing I did for them, I think. Okay, and so then on you went and did more work, um, yeah. doing pixel art. So when did the sort of digital gaming thing fit into this then? <laughs> did Was this something you had an idea separate of Normal Boots anyway, and you were like, hey, yeah. look, I'm doing something too? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, did you know gaming actually started out as a Tumblr blog before YouTube? So uh, going on from the sort of website that you had with the pictures, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, with the border. Okay. Uh, so the original idea for Did You Know Gaming was I saw like lots of like trivia images where people would just type in like facts or did you know at the top, and then it would say like a set a fact about science or music or films, and I was just looking at them and I thought two things. I thought firstly. Uh, there's no facts here about video games. Like, no one's showing any video game facts. And secondly, they were all, like, awful-looking pictures that had been made in, like, with, like, comic sans, and, like, they were compressed <laughs> to hell with JPEG compression, and, like, the graphic designer in me was just like, oh, I could make these look way better. So I took those two things and just made, like, a really consistent, well-branded bunch of images about gaming trivia, Threw them up on Tumblr, like made a Facebook page and a Twitter page and what have you. Uh, showed it to a few friends, and they were all just like, "Wow, this is great!" And then, like the next day, I like looked at the page and stuff, and it had like a thousand followers. Oh wow, that was very fast. Yeah. Um, and how did that happen then? Who had like shared it or spread it around? Oh, just it like... just it was just like literally like person to person, just like my friends sharing it, like sending it to people. Uh, I don't think I'd even like brought it up to anyone at Normal Boots by th at this point. It was it was just like a local localized thing. Hmm. So when did the sort of video? Who was it? Uh, your specific idea to do this? Then I imagine you've recounted this story quite a few times. Uh, yeah. I'm interested to see what the transition was. So, because um, you yourself have obviously not appeared in any videos. I imagine you never really had any plans to... I, <laughs> yeah, something. I never had any plans to put myself, meet my voice or my face on the internet. You've got a lovely voice. Uh, people always tell me that, but I don't believe them. You've got a better radio voice than I have, and I record a two-hour <laughs> podcast every two weeks. You run a podcast. But the, the did you know videos are the same. It's a voiceover. So I think you'd be perfectly fine. Ah, oh, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> so but, what happened then in terms of like transitioning to video? Was it uh, someone well, had said something or you were like, hey, I've got these normal boots guys. <laughs> well, kind of. It was like um, I, I was friends with a bunch of YouTubers, like not just guys uh, from normal boots, like so I used to go to like art forums and uh, gaming fan forums and stuff and made friends. And those guys were like really talented as well. And they'd like on their own kind of found success on YouTube, making like parody videos and like animations and stuff. So I knew a lot of people that made videos already. So I knew about YouTube and like people could make a living from it and stuff. And uh, the Did You Know Gaming blog started to take off like in a really big way. Like... There was one week where literally every day there was a Did You Know Gaming post on the front page of Reddit. Oh, like, wow. Like every okay. single day for a full week in succession. 
and I got like a million hits to my site in a in a week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they're kind of numbers you don't. Um, yeah, you don't just be like, oh, that's yeah. good. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like you look at uh, Google Live Analytics and you're like, well, nah, that can't be right. Someone f- someone forgot to like carry a zero there or something. <laughs> yeah. You're like, hmm. I should probably do something about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Oh, um, none of this is monetized. <laughs> I guess I'll make some videos." <laughs> yeah. So that's basically where the videos came in. I was just like, "Okay, I now have a, I now have a platform where I can actually do something." Yeah. I know people are gonna like watch the videos if I make them, because I know I'm not gonna make awful videos. Like they'll at least be somewhat watchable, even though I didn't have much experience making videos at the time. Uh, but the reason why I didn't actually voice the videos myself was because I had no audio setup. But also, I also I already knew people who made YouTube videos, did narration, as well as a few uh, amateur voice actors. So my thinking was, why would I like start off with bad audio when I can just start out of the gate running and get my friends who already have audio setups and like yeah. experience to just voice the videos. <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's one of the things uh, that always, I always sort of wanted to do. I mean, at the time, sort of when YouTube was kicking off, I was working for Rockstar Games, so I couldn't, I was NDA not allowed to basically do anything like that anyway. Yeah. So, but I'd always had that intention that I wanted to do something similar. But when it got to the point when I was able to do it, my setup was, you know, same as yours. It's like audio was not great. There was no way to record good video. It's like, it really puts you off wanting to do it because you you know you've got like the genesis of a good idea yeah but you're like oh well if i start off weak no one's going to really pay attention whether the content's good or not yeah exactly and um i also had like a million people already already looking at the blog i was like oh this has to be at least decent i can't put up like a really <laughs> crappy video that's just gonna this is gonna look bad so i i i failed to remember what the first one was about uh, the very um, first Did You Know Gaming video was Pokemon. Pokemon, okay. Did John Tron voice? Did John voice that one? Uh, no, that was my friend uh, Remix. He does a channel called Weekly Tube Show where he like redubs Dragon Ball Z and like Fist of the North Star into like parody comedy videos. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, so you but you jumped right out of the gate with some very early, you know, very popular. Oh yeah, getting popular at the time, guys, which was very well. I want to say a very smart decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it it was kind of, it it was like um a, you the YouTube stuff was kind of like the Reddit explosion all over again because people like you I had a whole new audience of people finding did you know gaming, and with just that one Pokemon video. In like a couple of weeks, I got something like thirty-five thousand subscribers, which was a lot back then, six years ago. Yeah, for yeah. one video. For one video. Yeah. Based off that, I think it's because they'll know that everyone knew that with the format of the video, yeah. you could do anything, and the, the, it, it. I don't know how easy it was for you, particularly, but you sound like you were quite adept at doing graphic design and video editing and stuff like that. So with these types of videos as well, it's quite easy to sort of turn them around. Oh, um, yeah. 
and I think people expect, you know, we're seeing, oh, okay, here's, here's a video that is a voiceover with some chopped together footage of the game with a little bit of text. It's like, hmm, this could be a channel that's just going to like bust out videos every week or twice a week with yeah. some really interesting stuff. So maybe the sort of the the prospective future was looking pretty good. But 35,000 subscribers off the back of one video is quite incredible at the time. Yeah, exactly. And um, you're, you're right. Uh, I think like um, the turnover from the sh- script to video is like the shortest part and the actual researching and then making the script is the longest part. Like the actual creation of the video is like the fastest part. Yeah. I imagine the research takes a long time and I can imagine that's evolved quite a bit since oh, yeah. when it was just you uh, having to follow up on some facts on the internet. Now you're actually a, you know, you're this, you know, this huge influential channel now that I imagine you directly call up studios to ask for information. <laughs> um, I do uh, email people or like contact people directly on LinkedIn and stuff like that and ask them to confirm a couple of things or ask them to do an interview occasionally. Uh, but surprisingly, you don't really need that much information from the developers because the fans have already done all the legwork. Like they've mined all the games, data mined them. They There's like most games have like 10 20 years of interviews that from magazines that have been archived online somewhere so it's kind of like a just a lot of grind work where you're just like going through everything all the fans have already collected and just like going through it and seeing what's interesting like what kind of story can i tell from this information is there yeah. anything is there any area where the information is weak and i might need to go to the developer to like get some more information or get him to confirm something that sort of thing Okay, so in terms of your personal involvement with the channel now, being you know the creator and stuff like that, and I I know you have some employees who work for you who do like video editing and research and scripting and that kind of things. How is your sort of role within that change? What is it that you still enjoy doing for the show itself? I met you obviously just said you still do research and you still contact people. Yeah. Um, but what is it that you actually really enjoy now about doing? Um, Honestly, the research is the part that I've always enjoyed the most. Um, I'd say the writing is the part that I enjoy the least. (laughs) Um, It can be a pain for me sometimes because uh, I have pretty bad dyslexia. So it's uh, sometimes it's it's not a great experience, but I have to get it done. Um, But I mostly do research. um, But I Usually how an episode did, you know, gaming's put together is I'll either start from scratch myself and do all the research myself, or I'll say, I don't have enough time for this. I'm going to have someone reliable to, like, research a draft for yeah. me, and then they'll give okay. me a draft, and then I'll go through it, uh, delete any parts that I think are boring, or and, like, rewrite it if I think something needs to be explained differently. Um, and then like, uh, add in some, maybe some interesting trivia that I've like picked up over the years and just remember and then go through fact check everything. And then it's pretty much done. And then it's more about tracking down someone to voice the video. Usually someone yeah. who's like known for doing videos on the franchise that the, the, the video is actually covering. 
Ah, uh, yeah, because I did see that sort of switch over to getting more people involved who have a background in that sort of subject, um, yeah. which I think gives confidence to people who are watching the video itself. Like, they're like, oh, this person who makes a Pokemon channel is talking about Pokemon, and they're talking about all these facts that Did You Know Gaming is saying. That yeah. must be right. Like, that kind, <laughs> that kind of feeling, yeah. Uh, not only that, but um, people kind of build up this association between franchises and personalities. So if someone's like famous for talking about the, a franchise, the audience kind of expects them to voice the video anyway. Like I've had a lot of times ah, okay. where um, I didn't get like the most popular like uh, Pokemon guy or Mario guy or Zelda guy to voice a video, and like half the comments are, "Oh, you should have gotten such and such to voice this video." <laughs> so there's an expectation there. So I, so what you're saying to me, Shane, is you're letting me down gently, saying. I've cut myself into a corner where I've created something where I talk about almost every game on the planet in a deserted island situation <laughs> and there is no possible there's no possible avenue for me to voice a digital gaming video uh, because I'm sorry. of my sorry, man. broad width. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really interesting that you've sort of done that because it obviously started out with just the sort of popular YouTuber thing uh, and getting these people who had like good audio setups and now having it evolve into something more where it has this association because that's how, how it is. It does seem to, I, I can't remember what it, what I was watching. It, it was funny. It got to a point when I was guessing who it was going to be yeah. because when you, like when you watch it on like the PlayStation or something, it cuts off half the title and it's like, Oh, it's going to be, um, <laughs> it's going to be super smash brothers with someone. And you're like, Hmm. Oh, so you, so you just see the opening little animation and then the sizzle reel. And then you wait for someone to start talking. Yeah, someone to start talking, you're like, hmm, I wonder who it's going to be. And then the voice comes out, and you're like, yeah, I thought it was that. <laughs> I thought it was that person. <laughs> or you're convincing yourself in your mind you're smarter than you are by getting it correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we should stop talking about other people talking about games. We should get on to you talking about the games that you're going to take with you uh, to the deserted <sighs> place of final games today. Because unfortunately, you have to stop researching. You have to put everything down and you're going to leave New York because we're going to send you to a deserted place with eight games that you've chosen. A wonderful list of eight games, may I add. Um, how are you feeling about getting ready to be sent to a deserted place with eight games? Um, quite... I'm fine with it, honestly. <laughs> it's basically well. a vacation at this point. <laughs> That's how a lot of my guests see it. A lot of, a lot of busy people on this show who... Uh, <laughs> Cannot wait to, to be able to sit down. Uh, with just games. like, please leave me on a deserted island for the love of God, please. <laughs> I've had some people email back and say, "Please, are you really sending me to a deserted island? Please, <laughs> please, can this be the case?" Um, but we are going to get ready to send you away, so I think it's about time we jump into the eight games. So let's kick things off and jump into Shane's first game for his final games, and it's a doozy considering what week it's been with Mario. So let's jump into Shane's. Final games.
So jumping into Shane's first game that he's going to be taking with him. And this week has been all about Mario and Mario's brand new 3D Odyssey. Um, everyone's been saying Mario has been uh, Mario Odyssey has been a sequel to this game that Shane's going to take with him. Which is the first 3D Mario game that was ever made. And what a game it is. Uh, directed by, obviously, Miyamoto-san himself and Takeshi Tezuka. But also Yoshiaki Koizumi, who is basically the man in charge of Mario these days, and you will have seen him very heavily involved with the Super Mario Odyssey sort of promotional material and stuff like that. Um, he is now sort of the face, the brand new face that's coming through behind Miyamoto. Uh, this game released back on the N64 at launch back in June in 1996 uh, in Japan, and then North America a few months later, and then in Poor old EU, where me and Shane will have hailed from. We had to wait almost an entire year later uh, until March of 1997 when Super Mario 64 finally came out. Of course, we're going to talk about Super Mario 64. Shane, one, why are you taking it with you? And two, have you been playing Super Mario Odyssey? Um, I, I'll, well, I'll answer the Odyssey question first. Yes, I've been playing it. Is I'm enjoying it so far. Good. That's and, very uh, good. <laughs> why am I taking Mario 64 with me? Oh, many reasons. Many reasons, to be honest. Um, but you say it came out in uh, March uh, 997? Yeah, in I the think EU, I, I think yeah. I had to wait a little bit longer because I didn't get it until Christmas. Me too. I got it <laughs> 90, Christmas 997. That's yeah. exactly the, the same day yeah. I got it too. <laughs> uh, I, think I, I think I played it nonstop for like three weeks oh, I, I wasn't I too good at games back then years. I think it, it was around that time when we didn't get games very often so it, oh absolutely yeah this was like one of those games I remember it was we were talking about this before we started the show when you're a kid you sort of garner video games from friends or family friends or cousins and you just accumulate games without buying them somehow like people bring games over to your house or you take games to theirs and they end up leaving it there or you borrow it and you just end up amassing these games yeah, um you, you get so, the my N64... so you get the game your friends are all bored with <laughs> yeah exactly or you're like can i borrow this game for a bit and you just never end up giving it back because it's like it's like Scars for the N64 or something <laughs> a game that nobody wants <laughs> um but it's definitely I remember my N64 collection growing quite large because of that. But I still was always playing Super Mario 64. Always. Uh, me too. It was, it's uh, one of those games that I always go back to probably like once every year or two. And just like, maybe not like 100% it, but just like breeze through it. Just chill out. Play some Mario 64. How have you been playing it in the recent years then? Have you been like busting out the N64 version? Or are you playing like the Wii U virtual console version? Well, actually just or that. God I forbid, think the, the DS version. I think the last time I played it was on the Wii U, just like in my bed on the Wii U gamepad under the covers. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> nice and comfy playing Mario 64. <laughs> it, it's so weird because one thing I found out the other day, and you can you can steal this for a Did You Know Gaming. Um, we are as far away from Mario Galaxy as Mario Galaxy was from Super Mario 64. Oh, you're making me feel old. I know. How, that's horrible, right? 
considering the sort of when you when you still look at Super Mario Galaxy, it looks amazing. It's such yeah. an incredibly well art directed game, and oh. you know, considering it was on the Wii, but it was ten years after I, I, Super Mario sixty four, and now we're ten years away from when the Super Mario Galaxy yeah. released. I remember refreshing the front page of GameTrailers.com and the video popping up. I'm like, oh, it's a new Mario game. It's it's so strange to think that how far we are away from that and how we've sort of come full circle on 3D Mario <sighs> games with Odyssey now. Um, oh, it feels weird. <laughs> it, it does, but, but I, I, will, I think I, that's... A t- Sorry, oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay. Well, we're two polite Englishmen here, just trying to <laughs> trying yeah, to let the other true. one speak. Uh, <laughs> what one thing I will say, I haven't hundred percent the Odyssey yet, but I still think Nintendo has yet to top Mario sixty four. It's weird because the the feeling I get from Mario Odyssey is pure joy and I'm really enjoying the exploring aspect of like really seeking out all the moons and stuff like that. Yeah. But I don't get the sense of level design that I did with Super Mario 64. Same. Same. Even though Super Mario 64 was the, the you know, the, a similar, it's in a similar vein where yeah. it is a open space. It still had like a, a, a finely, because of the limitations of the engine, it didn't, you couldn't just stuff it full of things that were interesting. Yeah, yeah. You had to really craft a experience still within those open hmm. areas because every time you went for a star, you were always going for that story star. Like there was a a designated path. Yeah, it wasn't like Odyssey where you kind of had this aimless wandering feel to it, yeah. where you just stumbled across power moons like you didn't know what was happening on the n64 you definitely couldn't waste that kind of geometry on just open landscape yeah just filling it with stuff that was interesting yeah you couldn't really do that you had to have these finely crafted yeah really uh, condensed levels mm, yeah exactly and it's like i definitely don't get apart from maybe a few areas um within super mario odyssey like I think the I think the Metro Kingdom, obviously New Donk City, is oh, it is yeah, that is my hands down my favorite level. That is so fantastic so far, and that feels more like a Super Mario sixty four level yeah. where yeah. it has these finely crafted jumps where you're jumping between skyscrapers to reach like a moon, or or mm-hmm. it has like these construction working workings that you have to get over. It definitely feels a lot more. It's, I don't want to um, say time, but I definitely want to say more thought was about. Crafting a experience well, um, for the players. What, what I think, what I, I remember reading about how they made uh, Mario sixty four, and they kind of made every level to be like a little diorama. Yeah. And uh, I feel like New Donk City kind of captures that same feel. Yes, it's weird because even um, when you look at it, it's like on a kind of floating platform. Yeah. Like you can see the cityscape in the background, but New Donk City itself is kind of like on this square. Floating yeah. platform and definitely looks like a diorama from a distance. And it's like really, just really dense. So dense that they literally had to build upwards just to get everything in. Yes. <laughs> that's that's when what you compare a... it to something like the Sand Kingdom, which is like yeah. the first kingdom you go to. It is just big, this, this big vast space that... Yeah. You kind of. I can't really get behind that. I don't. I don't want big open spaces in my Mario games. It looks really beautiful, and I really enjoyed some aspects of it. But in terms of like 
that Nintendo level design. Yeah. Because that's the, even with Breath of the Wild, I think there's an aspect of exploration there that's crafted for the player. Like, yeah. If anyone has uh, caught um, Matt Walker from Capcom, his translation tweets about the CDIC Japan talk that... Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Breath I saw that. Wild did. Um, they, perf- they crafted the world to make the player sort of almost follow certain paths uh, to yeah. seek out different... So even then, Nintendo was still crafting your path. They they were giving you this well-designed... Mm. Just you know, uh, subtly, of, subtly influencing yeah, the player. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. And it seems with um, some areas, they, they've tried, they've tried something different. Like they don't, they unless it is like the Metro Kingdom or one of the smaller kingdoms, there is a, a sense that they have just made a space, not a path for you to follow, like yeah. in other games. Yeah. I mean, it's still fucking an amazing game, but oh, <laughs> there is a very. There is a very distinct difference between, I think, what made Super Mario 64 special and what makes Odyssey special. That a lot of people I don't think yeah. are getting. Like, everyone's just saying, oh, it's a sequel. It, it, it's it's this 3D space that you can walk around in. Yes, but what is it about Super Mario 64 that was so fucking special? Well, um, for me, I have I think I have kind of a weird view on it because I don't think I've heard anyone, like, echo my thoughts about it before. And I think the game has, like this abstract atmosphere that's probably like a combination of Nintendo not being quite sure of what they were doing at the time because it was like a whole new thing and then also yeah. uh, limitations or like the perceived limitations of the Nintendo 64 and having to keep things simple and con- and condensed but because of that there's not much around like in the actual hub world and it's like just like quiet ambient noises and like birds chirping and then that's kind of like um the that's kind of broken up with like Bowser's laugh just like the ominous laugh of Bowser and then like the booze creepily laughing in the courtyard and stuff it's got this like creepy ominous atmosphere to like the hub world that i really like and i you don't really see that in sunshine or galaxy cuz it's all like oh look at all these happy things dancing around yeah Mario, no... like there are definitely there are definitely times when Nintendo were not afraid to get a little creepy with it, or definitely, as you said, a little abstract. Yeah. Like if you think about you know games like Majora's Mask <laughs> itself, like oh. Nintendo were not afraid to sometimes just like. Oh yeah, they do went straight up morbid with that one. <laughs> yeah, but they're not afraid to do like small weird things, as you said. Like when you look at the surface of what Super Mario sixty four is like, or even Mario in general, like it's a mishmash of all these weird ideas that come together like a, a plumber in a in a <laughs> jurassic type yeah. world saving a princess <laughs> defeating dinosaurs yeah. you know it comes from yeah. that genesis of when people could do anything with ideas because they had to flesh out some sprites but it is they've kept that uh, i don't know it's not formula they're it's willing like, to try anything and it just somehow fits as because Mario is the centric character that doesn't really change. Yeah. And yet you can still always sort of look at Mario with that odd sense of fam- familiarity. Absolutely. 
Um, and you look at Odyssey, and it's nothing like Super Mario 64, but you're like, this still feels quite. Yeah, it's got a little bit of the little bit of the spirit in it. Yeah, it, it definitely feels to me a lot more like Mario Galaxy in terms of like the music. The I think the, um, when I was talking gra- to people, I kind of yeah. likened it to um, if. Odyssey to me feels kind of like a, a mashup of Super Mario 64 and Super Mario 3D Land. Yeah, I think so too. I, I like the way the like the way you sort of move around. Like yeah. although you have the control of the camera on like 3D World, where you have no sense of camera, you can't really change it. Yeah, yeah. That sort of level design ideas. It's definitely that team that yeah. are here now, like yeah. the new Mario team that are sort of working together. Um, but that definitely, yeah, I can get behind that. That's something I can feel, um, is sort of where it's at now. What's really weird about Super Mario Odyssey is it takes, it takes place in a more real setting. Like when you look at the, you you know, when you fly into the, the, the sky and you choose a kingdom to go to, you're on the, like the, what is like representative of the earth. Yeah. You're on an actual planet. yeah, you're like on an actual planet that looks like a realistic Earth. And, you know, with the Metro Kingdom, you see all these characters. How is it that what is the most normal thing to me in the world, which is human beings and a city and a planet, <laughs> is still the weirdest thing that's ever appeared in a Mario game? Yeah, they just... <laughs> it's because it Mario is so, like, disproportioned and weird that you just get used <laughs> to Mario being like that. And then when you put him next to something normal, the normal <laughs> thing looks weird. Yeah, like the human beings like in New Dunk City, they're not the greatest modeled things in the world, but they look so weird next to Mario. I like see. Mario, to me, looks like normality. Yeah. And then what is actually me <laughs> is so fucking weird. It's, uh, it's when I first saw the reveal trailer for Mario Odyssey, I was just getting like Sonic adve- Adventure vibes, just like of Sonic running yeah. around humans. Because <laughs> I remember... When I saw the sort of new dunks, when he pops out of the the, the manhole, yeah, and I was like, oh my god, I don't know how I feel about this. I really don't know how I feel about this. Um, but I was reassured. Uh, Jordan Amaro, who is a good friend of mine who works at Nintendo, um, he oh. was saying, no, no, don't worry, don't <laughs> his, worry. Uh, his unbiased opinion. Yeah, well, this was when he only <laughs> just started working there, basically. Um, and plus, he, he was on the Splatoon team, so he was only basically peeking in the door to look at the Mario. Oh, cool. And he was like, he, he was saying, don't worry, don't worry. It's it's all good. It's going to be great. Well, <laughs> was he like, was really? right. He was definitely. Well, it's, it's one of those things. It always comes back to, as, as for everyone who ever listens to this show, they know I have a somewhat biased towards Nintendo. But that's because you don't bet against them. <laughs> like, yeah. No matter what happens with our hardware... Whether it's a, a, a an incredible success like the Switch has been or the Wii has been, and for uh, you know for every Wii U, there are still games on the Wii U which are so good. Yeah, you can't count them out. You can't count them out exactly. You cannot bet against Nintendo, and you know Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey in the same year. It's not even a, a year. It's not even a year, and it's on a console that's just come out. That's only. Seven months old or whatever it is. Yeah, it was, um, was it was it March? Yeah, March, March third. Yeah, like wow. So wow, yeah, like wow, wow. eight eight months. 
incredible stuff. <laughs> it's just incredible. Like this show, like you know, this year we've already had Breath of the Wild. What three times appear on the show since then? And um, I, it's just almost like counting down the days until Mario, Mario Odyssey will eventually appear on this list. I think. Oh yeah, give it, give it but the next today. episode. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but not today. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna keep it. We're gonna keep it relaxed, and we're gonna yeah. take Super Mario sixty four, a very well thought out game, and a game I imagine, considering the channel you run, you've you've spoken about at great lengths. Oh yeah, absolutely. so many times. Well, we're gonna move on now from Super Mario Galaxy then, uh, Super Mario Galaxy, Super Mario sixty four, and we're gonna move on to a very different game. I mean, we're also gonna talk about the place in which we're gonna send you because we have to send you somewhere. But, you know, we're very kind. Well, I'm very kind, and I allow you the place to where you're going to go. So let's listen to some music from this next game, and let's, of course, dive straight into it. So, as always, before we jump into the second game that is on my guest's final games list today, we have to talk about the place we're going to send Shane, because you have to go somewhere, and it has to be deserted, but we're kind. Uh, you know, we want you to be comfortable, we want you to be able to play these eight games um, without too much too much distraction or fear, depending on where you want to be sent. Um, so we allow you a place to go uh, of your own choosing, but it has to be from video mm. games. Well, uh, I with, think... Um, with, the, with the caveat that it's deserted. Okay, so there's no uh, NPCs or enemies or anything? There's no, there's no NPCs, but if you choose a place that has like a wildlife to it, like if you go to a deserted island, you, you might be guaranteed there'll be no humans or no help, but there might be animals or there might be dangerous things so you have That's, to you uh, have to think you have to think about a place that maybe potentially doesn't have any enemies or you could be safe even if there was well that's good for me then because i think if i were to go anywhere in a video game and still want to keep the wildlife there i would probably go to the pokemon world ah okay because then I could so, catch and raise Pokemon still. So specifically, is there a region you would want to stay um, in? Kanto's pretty good. There's a lot of stuff there. Can, yeah. Oh, Kanto's based maybe. off a of, Kanto is you know based off a, a very amazing area of Japan. So yeah. I can I can get down with that. Would you Would you be afraid though of maybe like all these legendary Pokemon's that? end up creating cataclysmic natural events and you know you could have like Groudon going ancient power all of you and creating a whole world of lava and stuff like that 
Nah. Not worried about that. Nah. I'll I'll just like roll up with my level hundred Blastoise and <laughs> and just uh, beat him into submission. So you think this is something that's always intrigued me. Like you think even in a real Pokemon world that was like ours, where we yeah. captured them and made the bell, they would yeah. still have levels. Well, I think there's if well if it's the Pokemon world, then yeah. So you, the game world. Um, ah, okay, I understand. Yeah. So would like, you? The okay. game world would be the the physics of their universe. So you would have levels. Ah, would you be made of sprites? Maybe. That would be weird. There'd be like a sprite-based version of you playing 3D games in. That's kind of weird. As long as long as my as long as my body works the same, I don't mind. <laughs> well, we're getting as abstract as Nintendo are here in terms of like the. <laughs> The mashings of 2D and 3D, um, but we're going to send you to the Pokemon world. Then you know we'll we'll decide on a region later, maybe to drop you off, and you can explore from then. You can take like whatever 25 years that it takes Ash to <laughs> get to the Pokemon League. Uh, you <laughs> maybe you can do it a little faster than he can. Hopefully. <laughs> but on your travels through the Pokemon world, the next game you're going to be playing alongside Super Mario 64 is an RPG and. Um, it's by Bioware, and it was published by EA, and originally released for the Xbox 360 before any other console. It's a series that's gone on to become incredibly popular, although its most recent entry into the franchise has been met with incredible controversy and criticism, and has basically sort of become a disaster for the studio. But this game was a big hit, and led to a sequel that was an even bigger hit. With this game releasing originally back in 2007, the same month as Super Mario Galaxy, speaking of 10 years ago. Oh, make me feel old again. I know. It's, we are getting old. <laughs> We're probably about the same age, I think. I'm 27. I'm 28. Yeah, exactly. We're yeah. around about exactly the same age. So our gaming sphere has been sort of the same, I think, considering yeah, I think the so, games probably. we got. Yeah, Going back to like, sometimes I talk to guests on the show about the Super Nintendo, or uh, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I used to play Chrono Trigger and Earthbound," and I'm just sat there like, I didn't get to play those games until they came out on DS because we <laughs> well, didn't get them. Yeah, we didn't get Chrono year. Trigger or Earthbound or Super nope. Mario RPG. No, nope, we didn't get any of those. People forget that. Like, we had to go back and play yeah. them, or we had to import them, which is really difficult. Or you be a naughty child like I was and emulate them. <laughs> also, I, by go back and play them, I basically mean doing that in high school on a yeah. school PC. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've, I really like these RPGs. I've heard there's a really good one out in America. It's called Chrono Trigger. I wonder if that's any good. It only happened to be missing one of the best RPGs ever. Yeah. <laughs> but it is not the RPG that you're going to be taking with you. Uh, it was right almost now. the RPG that I. Oh really? That, it was almost. It was. It, was it almost. almost made the list. But instead, you're going to take a wildly different game. Uh, you're going to take Mass Effect with you, the first. Um, what's what's this all about, Shane? Well, I think Mass Effect is probably one of the best uh, action RPGs ever made, if not the best. Okay. Uh, explain your reasoning. Considering well, I think Mass Effect 2 is potentially that title. I, I, I can see where you're coming from, but I can explain myself. So, I think 
mainly why I prefer Mass Effect 1 over Mass Effect 2 is because of the world building and the characters in the first game is just, I think, ever so slightly better than it is in Mass Effect 2. And I think in Mass Effect 2 they kind of traded a little bit of that for a mechanically better game. But in an RPG I feel that the world and the characters and the story is more important than the mechanics. So even though it's a more accessible and I, w I would still even agree that it's an overall like be objectively better game. For me, I still think Mass Effect is it's definitely my favorite out of the series. Did you play Mass Effect before you played Mass Effect 2 because I didn't because yes, I, I, I did. didn't have an Xbox 360 at the time. I sort of had to skip over it. I yeah. I knew it was this great game that people were raving on about, and obviously it's Bioware coming off the back of, you know, Baldur's Gate and stuff like that in the past, and uh, obviously, you know, the old Republic. Um, yeah, I played Mass Effect. I played them in order. Like, uh, I didn't play Mass Effect when it came out. I played it when um, there was a lot of hype building up for Mass Effect 2, and I was like, oh, I better play Mass Effect because this Mass Effect 2 game looks good and I want to be caught up on the story. So I played Mass Effect, just like expecting it to be like a decent game. Uh, but just like a sort of oh, I'll yeah, pick this up and yeah, play it for a yeah. few hours kind of thing. Just like uh, oh, I want to like familiar familiarize myself with the world, and then I then I'm ready for the good game that's coming out. But then I was, <laughs> but I played it and I was like, wow, this is actually like one of the best games I've ever played. <laughs> um. And it just it just had so many little things in it that I absolutely loved. Like uh, there was there was just things in it that other games didn't do. Like uh, let's say in any game from the time, let's say characters uh, run into an elevator, you'd see like a loading screen pop up, and then the loading screen disappears, and then all of a sudden you're in a different area. You walk out of the elevator door. In Mass Effect, you go into the elevator. The doors close, and the elevator starts going up. You don't get a loading screen, and your party members that have stood behind you start talking and just having some banter about the last mission you went on in character, and it's fantastic. It's just it, it, like the best world building there is in a game. Mm, and it, I think that's one of the things that made Mass Effect so special was this team-based sort of... Building a team, yeah. having a team. It's like uh, the camaraderie and the ensemble cast just yeah. makes it great. I think that's what makes 2 so special for me is because you spend so much time getting to know each of your teammates. It is one of those, you know, it's almost like the recruitment video. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's the recruitment video of the series where you spend most of your time just <laughs> garnering followers or yeah. people to come with you. But you the, see, um, the sense of story and the sense of personal relationship building that happens in 2, I think, is what makes it so special for me. And it sort of refines the, the combat of 1 a oh, little Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I, no argument about that. The, the combat in Mass Effect 1 was, like, janky as hell. Yeah, absolutely. And then it refines it. That's why 2 always sort of pips it for me. Yeah, I can understand that. It is it is a mechanically better game. 
but I think... The, <laughs> I always I, love that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I, I agree with saying. you. I, I can, a, I can like, look at the math on paper and see that you are correct, but also, but my I feeling, prefer this my one. My feelings are different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my feelings, my heart tells me otherwise. Yeah. But, like, but that's because... A, yeah. um, because I played Mass Effect 1 first, I feel like I have a different appreciation to Mass Effect 2 than you do as well. Because when I yes, played Mass I Effect agree. 2, you, like, meet the characters that you had relationships with from the first game. And, like, mm -hmm. you see, like, uh, Rex set, uh, set amongst, like, the other Krogans and stuff. And you're just like, oh, Rex, great. I thought I'd never see you again. And then you just, like, run up to, like, your old friend and have a conversation with him. And it's great. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally agree. I didn't quite get the, that, which is so integral to Mass Effect because you spend all of Mass Effect 2, you know, building what you yeah, got yeah, by the end of Mass Effect 1. Yeah, reassembling. And, you know, by the end of Mass Effect 2, I was feeling, you know, sort of, although the end of ending of Mass Effect 2 with the fight against basically what is the Terminator is shit. I think yeah. it's not good at all. <laughs> I think the last segment, the suicide mission, quote unquote, is yeah. uh, is very bad. I I think it's the weakest yeah. part of the game. Um, but definitely someone who's played through the first game and then moves on to two. And with Bioware doing that special thing where you can carry over your save and you can carry on being your shepherd, yeah. I always think is so great. Like, it really does feel like it's your story. And they're, they're some of the things that make games so special sometimes. Um, but yeah, definitely I can see why you would have such an attachment to the first one. Uh, I would also say that I think, just a little bit, I think I prefer the music in Mass Effect 1. It has like these ambient synth soundtracks that just fit really well with like the alien worlds, and the I think they use them a little bit less in Mass Effect Two. See, when it comes to music for the series, I don't really remember anything apart from the do 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 do, like the, the bridge sounds like that. Well, well, like if you played the, if you uh, played Mass Effect Two, you're probably familiar with the loading screen sound. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just always the do 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 like that really weird like spacey yeah those like bleeps and bloops yeah yeah definitely not not quite Blade Runner esque but trying oh, to be yeah trying to be trying to be trying on to a different be. budget <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> but it's very interesting you're gonna take Mass Effect because considering we're gonna you know we're gonna go through the rest of your list this is definitely the sort of outside ballpark even though there is one on here that is very different and a game that no one's ever chosen before um it's still sort of the outsider yeah. in all of this a lot of the games that you've chosen are all sort of japanese centric or nintendo designed games um so this is definitely the one that is outside of that ballpark are you someone like me who you play almost you know any game you can really fight you you're not snooty about what game you will play you'll try anything um, um but there is there is sort of a there is a a a drawn a natural draw towards the more let's say nintendo games i don't want to say nintendo games i want to see games of that I, I know style. what you mean though even 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 companies that aren't nintendo make nintendo games or or companies that are third party companies yeah. under nintendo's umbrella you you but know it, companies like yeah. The, the guys who make Fire Emblem, uh, what are they called? Why, why am I forgetting? Intelligent Systems, uh, or Camelot, or who we're going to talk about soon. 
Um, you know, those kind of companies that are under that umbrella of Japanese corporations who have sort of had publishing partnerships with Nintendo. Even yeah. even Game Freak. I mean, Pokemon is not Nintendo's franchise. It's like, people forget that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, Pokemon isn't owned by Nintendo. They have a stake in it, but it's Game Freaks. It's the Pokemon companies. Yeah. I think, uh, isn't it something like they just have enough where they can have a deal to make sure that Pokemon stays on nintendo consoles or something yeah there is something but there is also something that nintendo are not allowed to stop them from making stuff like you know mobile yeah like that's how yeah. pokemon go happened um and there's, done, i think there's, there's, uh, there's they did a stuff. few sega games right they did like pulseman yeah they did they did uh they recently did what a kid what's his name a jimbo akimbo the elephant right? oh yeah they yeah did, like, yeah i know what you're talking about they did that platformer that was meant to be pretty good. Um, yeah, they've done, you know, they, they Game Freak were here at Bit Summit in Kyoto. They were showing off a, I think it was called Giga, Giga, Mega Gigawatts or something. It was like this uh, really kind of like adult, adult looking platformer with this girl who had like these metal electric fists. Oh, and that sounds it was all about puzzles. Yeah, it looked really good. And they were giving away free codes for it then. Um, so it must have been out already. I've not played it, but uh, Game Freak definitely step out of the Pokemon branch when they can. So you know there are all these companies that you're naturally drawn to because of their maybe association with Nintendo or the sort of philosophy behind them is very similar thinking. Um, but it is nice to step away from that and play games like Mass Effect or uh, what have I been playing recently? Um, that's very different. Um, what was I playing? Uh, the, you know, like the Yakuza series and uh, like just these games that have a completely different design. I don't want to say more Western games because there are still Japanese games like that that are, are very different to Nintendo. Um, more, but it is nice um, to... More open world games. Yeah, definitely. Definitely as well. Definitely. I, I worked for Rockstar for an, an, a number of years, so there is definitely that sort of... The, the the western thinking is in me as well so yeah i can understand that and i and as someone who is a huge fan of mass effect 2 i can definitely can definitely respect that <laughs> well we're going to move on to said philosophy of corporations under nintendo's banner anyway so we just harked on about something we're going to talk about anyway so let's listen to some music from this fantastic next game that i'm so happy has finally appeared on final games this music's fantastic, and let's dive straight into it. diving into the next game on Shane's list and it's a game I'm incredibly excited about and I finally 
when Shane sent me his list earlier this morning, and when I saw it, I finally, just so excited to get this game. <laughs> there have been a few games that I've waited to appear on the show that I thought would never appear, but I knew there was always someone out there that had this want for this type of game to be on the show and spoken about. Um, this, for me, is probably the best RPG on the Game Boy Advance, I think, period. Oh, I it's completely such, agree. It's almost one of the best RPGs that's ever appeared on a Nintendo handheld anyway. It's developed by Camelot and published by Nintendo. It was directed by Takahashi, uh, Takahashi Shugo, and it released for the Game Boy Advance back in August of 2001. Oh, now I feel um, old. Yes, <laughs> you've cursed yourself with your own list. Um, but it released on the Wii U Virtual Console in 2014 as well, and I was able to replay it again. Uh, it has a sequel, uh, which I really enjoyed, that came out on the DS. And that was an excellent game too. But we're talking about the original, the OG, the game series that we'll probably never see again, <laughs> Golden Sun. Oh. Shane, one, thank you so much for choosing Golden Sun, and oh. two... Why are you taking it with you? Well, um, I'd say this, again, is another game that I go back to once every year or two and just play through. Okay. Um, but one thing I absolutely love about Golden Sun is that it's the most JRPG JRPG ever. It's like the <laughs> tropiest crap. <laughs> like, like you wake up in a bed with your mom talking to you and you have to like reclaim these elemental powers scattered across the world and there's mimic chests and all like the cliche slime enemies and all this stuff. But Golden Sun does it well. It like takes all that tropey nonsense and like is the best version of all of it. It, it definitely has the sort of... I mean, you play as what are called adepts, these magic-based yeah. users whose you, purpose you are the is chosen to protect... One. You are the chosen one. You <laughs> have to protect the world of Wayard from alchemy and potentially destructive power. Um, yeah, and, and then you've got the this added element on top of it, which is the you have these jinns, these like yeah, yeah, little yeah. creatures which are basically Pokemon for anyone who's played the series. They're basically Pokemon that you can collect and then use as like creatures in battle on top of your attacks and your skills. So it has a bit of Pokemon, it has a bit of Final Fantasy in it. It's just great. Yeah. Um, and I, the, the battle system is great as well because you can have like, it's kind of like uh, you have to balance the gin you use because once you use a gin, um, it turns into an elemental summon. And if you have like different members of your party using the same gin, like if you have like fire gin, fire gin, fire gin, fire gin, the elements stack and you get like a level four summon that's real mm. a really powerful fire summon, but you risk using it on an enemy where fire isn't effective. So you have to make a choice of having like really powerful summons or having a widespread of summons. It is definitely there's there are so many elements to Golden Sun's battle system, which is like, you have your own magic, you have, uh, what is it called, Psy energy. Yeah. Like, you as the character have it. Um, and you can you can use your abilities, and you can also assist your team and stuff like that, and each has a sort of typical JRPG um, role. All wearing capes. Within... Yeah, all wearing capes. <laughs> you all have sort of a role, um, and it comes from these, like, four elements, like, I think it's like Venus, Mars... 
Jupiter and then Mercury, I think. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Based on whatever the planet has on the surface is your power. So, like, if it's Mercury, you have, like, water and ice and then it's stuff like that. But it, it definitely has that typical battle system. But then on top of that, it has this really interesting, as you said, like, Pokemon elemental battle mm. to it where you're thinking about the, t- dip, the, type, adv- the type advantage you have. Yeah. Or the or what type is your your enemy? What what do they look like? What is it? What is their type? Um, it definitely is like a melding of very traditional and also, you know, two thousand and one. It's not that long after the Pokemon craze was like really in yeah well, full effect. Um, when was um it was it was like nineteen ninety six and then two was it two thousand when Generation Two came out two thousand and one two thousand yeah so this yeah. is just like because the Pokemon movie was nineteen ninety nine and then yeah. that had like a glimpse of Ho Oh in it so oh, yeah. then the Generation Two came out I think it was like a year later yes yeah, so it was a, it was this was like just after Generation Two then. Wow, it's so weird to think Golden Sun came out at literally the same time as Pokemon. Like, yeah, it like was it, it was a really you know, early game. It was like launch Pokemon window, Gold. I think. Yeah. Wow, that's a good good launch window. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of like moving on with the series, then because you know we had a sequel. Um, I forget the whole title of uh, this of uh, the sequel. Um, oh, what was the uh, Dark something? The DS one. Um, dark side dark sun of the moon or something it was yeah. something like that yeah. um it was a ds game that came out and it was just as good and you play as the main character isaac from the first game his son you play as his son in the uh, the new game um uh, I, I never actually called. um That's... i never actually played oh dark the dawn DS1. dark dawn oh that dark dawn that's it yeah yeah, the the sequel was called Lost Age, wasn't it? Um, uh, well, and then... um, it was. I think it was actually all meant to be one game, but they had to cut it up like Sonic Three and Knuckles style. Oh, really? I yeah. Did not so Golden Sun and Golden Sun: The Lost Age are like technically two halves of one game, and you can like uh, import your character, uh, like you can like import something from the first game into the second game with a password or something. To like uh, ah. carry over your items or something like that. Yeah, because yeah, because it takes what three years after. Like it's like still the same. Yeah, it's, I can't, yeah, I can't it's like the it's still the same thing, but then it like like Game of Thrones style switches to a bunch of different characters that you have to like eventually meet up with. Yeah, and then Dark Dawn was the actual sequel, which is like yeah. thirty years later, where Isaac. Uh, and the, like they return the power of alchemy to Wayard, and then you know his son, what's his name, Matthew. You you then like cyanogy vortexes are opening up around the world. So then it's like the reverse. You have to use alchemy to close them, which is a twist on the first game, considering you were stopping alchemy to begin with. Um, but so you said you didn't play the DS game. I didn't play the DS game. No. I was I planned on it, but I never got around to it for some reason. Maybe some other good games came out, and I just didn't have the time. <laughs> the DS had a lot of games out. Um, it looks like we're 
probably not going to see another Golden Sun game. Uh, which is a shame. Um, Camelot, you know, Camelot are kind of making Mario golf games these yeah. days. Um, <laughs> too busy making Mario sports games to be able to... Yeah, Camelot relegated was such a prolific... To, uh, relegated to the popular IP sports games. Yeah, because it's weird. You know, these are the guys who made, like, Shining Force and... They made the original Everybody's Golf. Um, then they made Golden Sun, which was like the only RPG they ever made outside of Shining Force. And then since then, they've just made Mario Tennis, Mario Golf, um, uh, did, uh, the Mario Sports Mix or whatever it was called they, for the DS. Did they do Mario vs. Donkey Kong or was that somewhere else? No, they didn't do Mario vs. Okay. Donkey Kong, no. No, Camelot, uh, basically, they started out with the Shining Force series, which is, you know, one of the Mega Drive's yeah, yeah. best sort of tactic RPGs. Like, um, they, also so did, um, they also did a PlayStation 1 game called uh, Beyond the Beyond, which is a game um, Golden Sun is actually the spiritual successor to. Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, it's like the same art style and everything, but just on the really? PS1. Ah, um, you see, I never, I never sort of that. That was I never really got. I had to go around to other friends' houses to play the PlayStation when I was younger. So that's how I basically played all the sort of RPGs on that console, like yeah, Final Fantasy VII and that kind of thing. So this, I did not know they made a RPG for the PlayStation that was before Golden Sun. Yeah, um, and I think it didn't get very good reviews because everyone was just saying, "Oh, it's just like generic RPG stuff." Um. But I guess like they learned their lesson and then like improved on it when they made Golden Sun. And then they moved on to make something that was kind of generic uh, RPG, but, did it but well. had all these things stacked on top of it that yeah. made it a little different. Yeah, there's definitely something about Golden Sun that makes it a lot more special. It was this very stereotypical JRPG, but they tried to add these small elements of influences from other games. Um, that they obviously that were popular at the time, but they did it so well, and it's just stood out so much. And I can't believe it was a handheld game. Like, yeah, it's such a big game too. The presentation was fantastic for like Game Boy Advance, especially like an early GBA game. And it's like JRPGs are known for good music, and this is a game that has good yeah. music. <laughs> Even among JRPGs, it has like some of the best music. Yeah. <laughs> it has some of the best music and now uh, like if if you've never like anyone who's listening has never listened to the golden sun soundtrack you should do it but you should also check out smooth mcgroove's oh, cover of the battle like you should cover uh you should go listen to the cover of the battle theme that he does oh my god so good it's so so very very good um you should definitely uh, go listen to that he voiced the did you know gaming golden sun video there you go you see it all connects together yeah. it, it it's like it, what is it eight seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And oh, it's such a shame that we potentially might not see... It's this, it's the same conversation I have with people who choose maybe um, uh, Advance Wars. Oh, yeah. Like, now, you know, Fire Emblem is really... Like, I love Fire Emblem. Um, but it is all kicking off, you know, for Fire Emblem, whereas Advance Wars has been sort of tossed to the wayside. And we're seeing these games that were on Game Boy Advance or on handheld systems that were these great RPGs that reviewed so well. Um, but as sequels have come out, 
the the sales figures have just not been great. Like Golden Sun, I sold over a million copies the original, but this this like subsequent games afterwards have just not done enough yeah. to be able to warrant another game, which is so disappointing. Yeah, I think unfortunately Golden Sun was one of those games that kind of found its success because the library wasn't that diverse yet, so people didn't yes. have much choice. Yeah, well, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like Mass Effect as a, as a within one year of the sort of Xbox 360 coming out. It is definitely one of those things where people are more willing to check out um, titles if there's yeah. nothing available. Whereas maybe Golden Sun maybe would have got put to the wayside when games like Fire Emblem came out. And, oh, yeah, um, definitely. There were a lot of RPGs um, by the end of the Game Boy Advance lifespan. But I'm glad any, we got uh, it. Yeah, I don't think any Final Fantasy ports had come out by then either. No, and then Tactics Advance 2, I think, was a few years later. And was a very different game to the original Final Fantasy Tactics, though. Just had the market all to itself. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're going to move on now from Golden Sun, sadly, as we have to move on, just like Nintendo and Camelot have moved on from Golden Sun 2. We're going to move on to a next game, to a series that supposedly there's a fourth game in the making, but Miyamoto keeps saying that, but he's been saying that for like three years now, um, and now we're on an entirely brand new console. So I don't know what's happening with that, but we're going to talk about a game in that series. So let's listen to some delightful music from this next game, and let's dive straight into it. So talking about the next game, it's a GameCube game for a series that is a very typical Nintendo series in the sense that it's now become sort of amongst their line. It's not their, their, their A-team tier of IPs, but it's become that, that sort of suitably B-tier series where everyone is sort of always wanting a sequel. They're always wondering every E3 if we'll hear an announcement about it. And most recently, we, we got like a 3DS game that was... Very different to what this series has been about. It's a, it's a Nintendo series that surprisingly I've never really got to grips with. I've played the games, but it's not something I've had a fondness for like other Nintendo series. Um, so I, I am very surprised to see it. We've not had it chosen too many times on the show previously. So it is nice to have a, a different series for once. Um, but this game is developed by Nintendo EAD. And of course is produced by Miyamoto and Tezuka-san, two of Nintendo's biggest heavy hitters. It released for the GameCube, and it's a sequel to Pikmin, the original sort of puzzle strategy game featuring Olimar, made by Miyamoto himself. This is the sequel that released back in 2004 for the GameCube, and also had a Wii port back in 2009. It is, of course, the puzzle strategy video game Pikmin 2. Shane, Pikmin 2, why are you taking that with you? <sighs> You're breaking my heart, Liam. You don't like Pikmin? It's not that I don't like Pikmin. No, no. Don't don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I have a I absolutely adore the art style and the sort of 
aesthetic of the game. Yeah. But when it comes to sort of playing it, um, I find myself more than most games wanting it to be over. <laughs> because I get oh, intensely... Oh, that's brutal. I get, into, I get intensely... I, I don't know whether it's anxiety about the way the game is designed because of the the, the sort of almost emergency like oh, yeah. puzzle. I mean, I just don't think I'm very good at puzzle games. So when I'm put under a pressure or a timer to be able to do it, and there are, there are these things lives in my hand, um, and I have to do it. It's kind of stressful for as Whoa. good for as good and sort of um, soft as it looks. It can yeah. get quite stressful. Well, what's funny is. The reason you just described is why a lot of people prefer Pikmin 1 over Pikmin 2. <laughs> they say they like the stress, and I'm just like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Pikmin 2, um, it doesn't... You, Pikmin 1 has a 30-day limit where you need to collect yeah. everything in 30 days. Uh, Pikmin 2 doesn't have that. You can just no, keep it, going. It, you can keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what it is because I really enjoyed Pikmin Three, especially when they brought out the update where you could use the Wii remote. Yeah, because I remember the Wii U controller originally on that release was yeah, you had not to great. constantly look at the gamepad. Yeah, that was not great, but when they brought out the 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 Wii remote uh, compatibility, that was really good, mm-hmm. um, and that was a really enjoyable game. But I think yeah, the first one had burnt me by because <laughs> Pikmin One and Pikmin Two were so close to each other in release. Um, I think it was, what, two years at the most? Yeah, I think it was about two years. Yeah, very, very quick turnaround on a sequel for that game. Um, But yeah, I think I was just being a kid and having (laughs) like the stress of a 30-day timer. I'm not good with timers in video games. Um, For anyone who is interested, they should watch Mark Brown's Did You Know... uh, Not Did You Know. (laughs) That's you. Um, Game Game Maker's Maker's Toolkit. Toolkit. Game Maker's Toolkit. Mark, um, who I have persistently try to get on the show but he refuses because he doesn't like podcasts um but i've tried um he makes an incredible he made an incredible video recently about video game timers and how to turn that into a good element because generally they're just not good aspects of video game design i don't think stressing the player out unless it's under certain conditions that could be quite rewarding always is a bad thing i think and i think the first pikmin definitely burnt me in that regard well, I can see where you're coming from, because I think that's one of the reasons why I don't like Pikmin 1 as much, because yeah. I, I like Pikmin 2, because it's like a game where, that I can just like zone out and just like play and just like take it in, enjoy like the atmosphere of the game, go through it, uh, sweep through all the, like the underground uh, dungeons, collect everything. It's just like it's a really relaxing game for me. And you just you just want I mean, you know, we're gonna send you to the Pokemon world, which yeah. seems to be quite a relaxing place as is. Oh, anyway. well, I'll, I'll be even more relaxed. Exactly. You need one of those games that you know, we got Super Mario sixty four. I think that's a game you can relax to, but it's it's a game that still requires your attention quite yeah. a bit. You um, still need to like work out how you're gonna jump against the walls and all that stuff. Well, it's one of those, it's the world is designed to always keep you moving, isn't it? Yeah, like, keep you engaged. Thing, like, yeah, Goombas or stuff are always going to be walking towards you, so you're always going to get hit if you stand still for too long. It's a game that requires you to move a lot. Mass Effect, you know, it goes without saying, it's an RPG, it needs, it's an action RPG, it needs you moving all the time. Um, whereas Pikmin is this, uh, you know, this world where you can sort of, you just sort of sit 
and uh, <laughs> wander a little bit uh, and, you know, have these little beautiful little creatures. If there's one thing I will always say about Pikmin is that the Pikmin themselves, I think, are such wonderfully designed. Oh, they're adorable. They are so adorable. And the they, the fact that they have different flowers sprouting on, from the top of their head, depending on what type they are and what element they are, is so adorable and such a, a small but cute touch, uh, which is only typical of Miyamoto in, in that regard. Um, but it's something like... It's I, one of the smartest decisions they made was making you like miniature. Yeah, like I making agree. you small. Like there's something to be said for being in a world where everything that's normal to you is bigger. Like yeah. finding an apple and it's huge, and you're like, ah, that's funny. <laughs> just for, just for some reason that happens to be funny and it's interesting. And being Olimar and being like this tiny little guy who arrives on this planet and having these things, I think it's just. There are so many neat touches in Pikmin that are very atypical of Nintendo. Yeah. Well, uh, I remember when I first played it, I did get like a, a, a tiny bit of like a Micro Machines vibe. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing recently was, I don't know if you played the uh, Final Fantasy XV demo before it came out. No. There was like this world where you could go into it and it was basically you were a miniature version of yourself. And you were like wandering around this giant house and everything was to scale. It was almost Toy Story-like where everything was, you were a toy sized and everything that was That sounds big. pretty cool. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was really good fun. And that kind of design I always think is very unique. Like having these small items like in immense detail at large scales and Pikmin definitely has that like... Especially with Pikmin 3, which had all these wonderfully designed... I can't remember... I, I don't know what the budget was for modeling fruit in that game, but it must have been pretty high. Because they look beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I think the new, uh, new shaders on the Wii U graphics card helped a lot. <laughs> I think so, too. So tell me a little bit, then, like about playing Pikmin 2 for you, then, as a kid, then. You know, um, I said I was personally burnt out from Pikmin 1, and it seems you ha had a very similar problem. But what was it about, you know, going into Pikmin 2, thinking, oh, maybe it'll be more of the same, but then it being this sort of delightful surprise? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't say that Pikmin 1 burnt me out. It just had parts of it that I didn't quite like. But I still thought it was, like, a good game, and I played it through to the end and enjoyed it. And then when I played Pikmin 2, I was like, oh, wow, they took out all the parts that I don't like... This is great. It's literally <laughs> just Pikmin 1 with all the parts I didn't like stripped out. <laughs> so I can just zone around like with my little Pikmin, kill all these bugs, collect all the treasure, and there's like next to no consequences because if you're just like running through an area and like a, an enemy pops up out of nowhere and like eats one of your Pikmin, it's just one Pikmin. You just turn around and kick its ass and then go back and get some more Pikmin. Do you not feel bad, though, about that one Pikmin that dies? Uh, the first few times, and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then after they're just yeah. expendable points. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you just get desensitized. Because I, I even feel bad in Smash Brothers when I play as Olimar. <laughs> God forbid random gives me Olimar in Smash. Um, and I have to throw it, and when it... The, the the graphical effect that when they die and they just disappear into oh, yeah. like a floating ghost. Oh, it's heartbreaking every time. Yeah, definitely. Poor things. <laughs> it, it was um you were in the intro you were, or the outro for last 
for the last segment, you were talking about how you aren't sure if Pikmin 4 is a thing and then you're not mm. sure if it's coming out. And it's interesting because that was the exact same story for Pikmin 3. Miyamoto was saying, oh, yes, we're making a Pikmin 3. And they were saying that for years. Like, it was coming out on the Wii. And then, like, they said it was still coming out on the Wii when the Wii U came out. And then all of a sudden they changed their mind and said, oh, no, it's going to be a Wii U game now. Yeah, because wasn't it the largest jump between an IP sequel for Nintendo? I, I can't remember. Or maybe, no, no, that's not true. I think it was something similar along those lines until Kid Icarus was made. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I think, what was it? It's like, uh, was it 2012? Uh, yeah, 2012. Yeah, so, yeah. like. Well, between two, which was 2000. So, like, nine years? For, yeah, nine years. There was like a, it was like one of the biggest jumps between sequels for yeah. Nintendo and an IP. Obviously, they, you know, churn out Mario games and Zelda games all the time. So, uh, even Donkey Kong games had a shorter span between oh, them. Yeah. But, yeah, the. the but it's the same with four, isn't it? Because Miyamoto was saying, "Yeah, well, he just announced. It. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't even like a, a, at a conference or anything. It was oh yeah, it was just like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. making Pikmin four. Just like, yeah, we're making Pikmin four, by the way. <laughs> People were like, what? <laughs> Say that again. I think, that, I think oh. the same thing actually happened with Pikmin three. They were just like, yeah, well, by the way, we're making Pikmin three. <laughs> It's just but, so funny because he he doesn't he doesn't say things like I don't know what it is about Pikmin. I think he's got a because it was one of the later games in you know his career because his career still going. But one of the later games after you know the wild successes of all the games he's made so far, I think it was the one he had a big involvement with. And I think he has like a special fondness for Pikmin because it very much is like it's about his gardening yeah. and his fashion fascination with flowers and that kind of thing. Um, so I think maybe he ha- he takes a very hands-on approach with Pikmin. I think so. Uh, yeah, I can see I can see him just like loving making a Pikmin game, like directing like how all the little environments are going to be made and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> he's a funny creature, as me. Right um, but yeah, and you know, somehow there is a Pikmin four in development, and obviously it will be on Switch now. I imagine. Yeah. Uh, we got the 3DS game Hey Pikmin uh, this year, but that was a platformer, yeah. so not really a Pikmin game, just a not, Pikmin uh, not really, Not really planning on playing that one, to be honest. I don't think it received that well. I think it was pretty mediocre yeah. um, from what I remember. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's one of those final 3DS games as well, sort of, I've yeah. moved on. I've moved on. Apart yeah. from Metroid, I've moved on. Apart from Metroid, I had to go back and play Metroid. But apart from that, I've moved on. Yeah, like, I've got a Switch now, guys. I've got a Switch. It, it, even with like Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon coming out, I'm like, mm, I've still moved on. I don't know yeah. if I can. Don't know if I can go back. Not enticing <laughs> me enough. Not not quite. Um, in terms of like three, then uh, Pikmin three, and then moving into Pikmin four. Did they still have that sort of same feeling that you got from 2? That sort of sense of being able to sort of zone Mm. out and play and what you really enjoyed about it? Kinda. I think they stripped a little bit of that away by adding more micromanaging because there's more characters and like you have to like split up your uh, Pikmin. Is it three characters now or four characters? Four characters, yeah. So you can manage your Pikmin with four characters and that's a little bit much. You can't like zone out and play that. You have to like stay focused on the game. Whereas in Pikmin 2, you cannot you don't even really need to split your characters up. I think there's only like 
one or two parts in the game where you actually need to do that. Most of the time you can just wander around in a group, it doesn't really matter. Just slowly make your way through, casually roam around, have some fun. <laughs> hey, well, then you, you're going to take it with you, so you can do all the roaming you like. <laughs> well, we're going to move on to the next game now, and we're going to sort of return a little bit to the deserted place in which we're going to send you, because um, you're going to be taking a Pokemon game next, and it's a Pokemon game that hasn't been chosen yet, um, because it is one of those, what, I don't know what we call them, um, the these versions the of the third one <laughs> the third one yeah it's always the third uh, sometimes i hear it called the sister game like the sister to the the two uh, mainline yeah. ones uh, but yeah i don't i don't know if they have an official title what they call these games um, but we're gonna listen to some obviously it's pokemon so you know some of the best music in video games right now and let's of course dive straight into it So jumping in now to the fifth game on Shane's list. And of course, it's a Pokemon game because we said prior. And you just listened to some fantastic music. Um, but as we said, it's one of those third games that don't get talked about on the show very much. Obviously, people choose, you know, the sort of mainline games, whether it's Blue or Red, Gold and Silver, Emerald and Pearl, you know, uh, oh, Diamond and Pearl. Emerald is the, the third game. Um, Ruby Sapphire... Uh, Sun and Moon, it's always those games get talked about. But there are these third games in the series. Uh, you know, Red and Blue has uh, yellow, technically yellow. Uh, in in Japan, it was it was blue that yeah. was the spinoff. It was red and green um, and blue. Yeah, red, green, and blue. Yellow here, which was the Pikachu spinoff. You know, uh, Ruby Sapphire had Emerald, and um, Diamond and Pearl had Platinum. Platinum. Uh, what was it then? It I don't was, think I don't think Black and White had. Black and White had a sequel. Well, they had Black Two and White Two. Black Two and White Two, which was technically different, and then X and Y didn't have any. Yeah. X and Y didn't have any, and now Sun and Moon and yeah, Sun and Moon are getting sequels like Black and White. So now I think the the, the third. Yeah, they're finally given up on it. They've finally given up on it. They're just making sequels now because they know people will buy four, four <laughs> versions of a game. <laughs> Instead of three, we can make them buy four. Um, and I am one of those idiots. But uh, <laughs> yes, we're talking about a very interesting uh, third game in the Pokemon series. 
it's the sister game to my personal favorite um, Pokemon game of all time, which is Pokemon Gold. And it's a game that we talked a little bit about before started recording. Um, I had the cartridge for this and I played it so much just because I loved the way the cart looked. Um, the sewer scene, frosted, sort of almost frosted glass look that this cartridge had. It was like an icy blue. This is, of course, Pokemon Crystal. It was released back in 2001 in... Oh, I know. Making me feel old again. I know. I know. It released in December of 2000 in Japan and then November of 2001 over here. Over here, I mean, in Europe. Uh, and it's the third and final Generation 2 core series game for the Game Boy Color chain. Why are you taking this very interesting... Pokemon game. Um, well, Pokemon Crystal is... Well, first of all, I think Generation 2 is the best generation of Pokemon. And Pokemon Crystal, I'm choosing this one because I played it the most as a kid. That's, okay. I, think, I think that's pretty much everyone's reason. Yeah, absolutely. I think so too. It, it, yeah, it's it's weird because when I think about it, Gold was the one I... I mean, in my heart, is my favorite. Yeah. But I think when I somehow got hold of the Crystal version, once again, through a friend or through something, because I don't remember ever buying it, um, but I, I always remember having the cartridge, um, that became the most played for me. But it was always like gold was still the one in my heart that was the reason I liked Generation 2. I get you. In terms of like playing this Pokemon game, this is the thing I think with about choosing Pokemon games now, where, especially for a deserted island. With choosing the most recent version, you're definitely going to get more gameplay. You're going to get more replayability, and you've got the ability to catch, you know, seven hundred Pokemon or so. You're and, and although the the nostalgia and the sort of feelings for how good the gameplay was in Generation Two, and you know, even like going up to Generation Four, which is still a long time ago. Um, you're, you're limiting yourself a little bit to, you know, such a small amount of Pokemon. Yeah, but this is the thing. Those over 500 Pokemon suck. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting, it, we're getting it out early. You are one of those people. Uh, you're, you're definitely one of the... Uh, I, I, I don't know... You, the... You can't forgive Nintendo for making more Pokemon, uh, well, essentially. Like this, no, um, I don't have anything against them. I just think it's obvious that like, when you look at how many Pokemon there are, they like slowly began to run out of ideas for like good Pokemon. And then you, and you see like less and less good Pokemon each time, with like a few exceptions. Don't you think with Sun and Moon, they really yeah, sort of... that's the exception. Okay, so you think they sort of brought it back around now yeah. with Sun and Moon? I, I think making uh, variations of existing Pokemon was a really smart idea, and I'm kind of surprised that they didn't do that sooner. Okay, yeah, like like a region-specific. It's weird, because they've had all these different regions, you know? Yeah. It's like if you take a certain type of animal like a like a you know an african lion or something and then you look at a lion in a different area or something or like a snake from one area of the world to another area they're yeah. very different like you know different types indian elephant, yeah, exactly. african elephant yeah exactly very different uh, you know black rhinos white rhinos it's it's 
something that they easily could have done. They could have been like, yeah. well, here is like a Johto uh, Pikachu. Yeah. Here is a Kanto Pikachu. Can you see the difference? Like, then maybe they have different stats or they have different uh, aesthetical attributes or something like that. It's definitely something they could have done. Like, even in Generation 2, because you go back to Kanto after yeah. you finish Johto. So it's something that you, you could have taken your Johto Absolutely. Type Pikachus with you to Kanto. Obviously, there are limitations to the, what the Game Boy could do at the time, but it's definitely something they could have done with the DS a lot sooner, I think. Instead of, what was it? I think, you know, black and white, I think, is the one that gets the most flack. No, I think, for... it, uh, I think it's um, Diamond and Pearl's the ones that everyone hates. <laughs> those those, those two games get the most hate by far. They're definitely the most um, forgettable. Yeah. I think forgettable is the word. I think that's pretty. It's accurate. not that I hate them; it's just I forget them. It's like, well, yeah, what happened in those in those games again? Like, I can't even remember what the starting Pokemon were. Yeah, uh, was that mm, exactly? Mm, <laughs> uh, Ruby and Sapphire was. Torchic. Uh, oh, Torchic. it was um, it was the it was the the was it was it the like, oh my god, what was it? Oh, it was the it was the penguin. The fourth the fourth fourth, fourth gen was like the penguin. Um, empo- uh, yeah. Emporion is it? Empor- uh, yeah, the final evolution and uh, um, the uh, the like. Was it the what's his name Tur- Turpin? Tur- yeah, yeah, the like the, the turtle the, tree thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what was the fire one? Uh, the monkey was it? Was it the monkey? Yeah. Um, Wait. Oh, because Infernape's one of my favorite final evolutions. Oh, is that, so. or is that black and white? No. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's Diamond and Pearl. It's Diamond and Pearl. That's Diamond and Pearl. Yeah, Diamond and Pearl. Because I remember playing Platinum. You know, Platinum has Giratana, which is, you know, one of the more iconic legendaries. Yeah. Um, so one thing that did come out of those games was this iconic legendary in Giratana. Um, but, you know, Palkia and... Um, I forget what the other one's called. So-so. Uh, not, the, not the greatest of legendaries. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, I forget. What, they, they appear... I, I remember them mostly from Smash <laughs> because they appear in the levels that change. Like, I think is it Palkia who smashes the stage and it flips upside down and all the controllers get reversed in Brawl? I'm just going off on a tangent here. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, obviously, from our conversation now of very little words, they are obviously forgettable entries in the Pokemon <laughs> series. Apologies uh, to anyone who really likes those. Because, you know, <laughs> it, dep- <laughs> it depends on what age you are. Like... Yeah. Um, some, uh, you know, there are some people out there who are maybe, you know, five or six years younger than if, we are. Um, people who are still in their twenties, yeah. whose first Pokemon game was Diamond and yeah. Pearl. I was just or... going to say, if it were, if they were your first Pokemon games, you probably love them. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. You you probably do love them. Um, and that's the thing is, I think everyone loves the first Pokemon game they really got into, and. You know, I knew about Pokemon and I was playing Pokemon cards and I'd played a little bit of Red and Blue, but it was Gold and Silver that that was when I really got into the series and with Crystal as well. And um, 
you know, and I, I do think they are unbiasedly the best games. <laughs> um, so, I agree. Uh, yeah. So it is definitely that thing uh, of you, you love them, even um, if they're not the best. I think one thing that definitely made it better for me was having played the originals and then moving into Generation 2. Um, it felt like um, everything felt like familiar, but slightly askew. Like everything had a different spin on it. Like the buildings looked a little bit different. They're in a different style, but they looked the same kind of. And the forest. Well, the smartest looked... thing, the smartest thing I think Nintendo ever did was to make it a sequel that was a sequel in the same world with the same Pokemon. Not like just make an entirely brand new game where they forgot about the the old Pokemon yeah. and they just made like 150 brand new Pokemon and it was like a completely separate game. Like here is a different game. That would have been like the 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 series itself, like the attachment you have to the, the Pokemon, like yeah. the monsters, would have just died then I think because they would have been so separated. Yeah. So the smartest thing they ever did was making it seem so familiar and then allowing you this incredible end game where you could pretty much play two games in one. Yeah. Uh I think um I think Gold and Silver while they were being made they were originally called Pokemon 2. So it really they really were made as a sequel. So yeah, I think more like uh, just like an Almost like an upgrade, like whatever yeah. you could call a Game Boy expansion pack, almost. <laughs> Just like a, a straight <laughs> follow-on from the last games. Just a straight follow-on. Just like you've moved to a different region, which is what you're going to do. You're going to explore all the different regions and catch... Well, I guess you're only going to stay within Johto yeah. and Kanto. And, and I can't really battle any of the trainers if there's no one around. Oh yeah, that's true. Well, you can uh, fight the wildlife though, can't you? Yeah, that's still you can go. Good. You can chase. You can chase Entai, Raikou, and Susin though. And if I'm in Johto, I can probably capture Lugia and oh, and Ho. -Oh. You can yeah. go to Golden Tower. You can come to Kyoto, which is basically where Ho, -Oh is based in real life oh, Japan. Um, um, the Golden Tower. I think that's uh, one reason why Crystal. I think is a little bit better. Can't you catch both of them in Crystal? Yes, you can. Well, I'm not sure you can do... Can you catch both of them in gold and silver? Or is it just one? No, no you can only catch one. You have to trade. Okay, there you go. You have to trade to get... So the, you can get both other. in crystal. Um, there was a lot of more trading stuff with gold and silver too. Like, you know, you had to have like the metal claw and you could get either Steelix or uh, Skizor, depending on what if you wanted Scyther or Onyx. Yeah. Um... There was a lot of like y unique ideas in Gold and Silver as well. Like you got the bike as well when you got to Goldenrod City, and you could finally move a lot faster and stuff. It was just like a, that. The that series of games was such a good upgrade upon Blue and Red, um, and Crystal just sort of refined all of it, made it that a little bit better, more quality of life stuff, and. Mm. The ability to catch more Pokemon. Well, that's another thing that Crystal did. Uh, you could choose your gender at the beginning. Really? Could you? Yeah. yeah. God, I don't remember that. Because uh, I think... Wasn't the girl called Crystal? God, I don't know. I've, I do not remember that. It's like Gold was the main character, Silver was the rival, and Crystal was the female. I think. And that's why it's called Pokemon Crystal. 
I did not know that. No, I, I've completely forgotten about that. I haven't played Crystal for 15 years. <laughs> Which, <laughs> once again, making us feel both oh, old. Oh, God, feel old again. Yeah, considering there are going to be people who are like 40 screaming at us now. Like, I played Pokemon when I was 22 or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> oh, at least I'm not that guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, thankfully not. Uh, <laughs> well, we're going to move on now. Um, and we're going to move on to what is pretty much um, the only sort of replayable game on your list. Like, the, uh, we, there's a lot of talk on Final Games about the difference between taking a game that is based on nostalgia or based on a love of a like single-player game, a game that has a definitive starting point and a definitive end. You've chosen games like Pokemon, which require a lot of time. Golden Sun is a big RPG. Uh, but, you know, on top of that, Mass Effect and Super Mario 64 have a definitive start and end, whether no matter how long they are. But the next game is kind of the only game on this list, barring one other, that basically has no end it's the game that you can replay on the desert in the deserted place um for you know forever how long you're going to be there or forever um which is really interesting because it's very stereotypical of a replayable game because you can pretty much do anything within the game so let's listen to some music from it and then of course let's talk about it So this next game on Shane's list is no stranger to Final Games and has appeared on people's lists multiple times for good reason. It's very much the, uh, when you think about being stuck in a deserted place, there are a few games that instantly spring to mind. Tetris is one of them. And this is probably the other one that appears as just as much as that game. It's a sandbox video game that allows you to pretty much create and design anything you want. It's released on almost every platform under the sun. You could probably play it on a toaster these days. It's just so available and has sold. I think it's the highest selling video game of all time for one release. Uh, um, I think so, yeah. 120 plus million, which is just mind-blowing. It's a shame that the creator of such a series has become a well-known Twitter troll. Um but it's a beautiful game, and it's Minecraft. It's always Minecraft. Of course, it is Minecraft. Shane, <laughs> I wouldn't peg you for a Minecraft guy, uh, so I'm um, very intrigued. I think it stands out the most on this list. Why are you well, taking it with you? Uh, because you can do pretty much whatever you want in Minecraft. <laughs> it, it's, uh... I'm just going to give people cue cards now yeah. from now on when they choose this game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Said, it... it... 
I think uh, I'm looking at all these other games, and, like, they're definitely games that I can, like, replay every year, and I'm sure I could get, like, a lot of enjoyment out of them. But none of them are truly replayable in the same sense that Minecraft is, and none of them are creative as Minecraft either. So not only do you get the replayable aspect, but it'd be my creative outlet as well. So, like, that's the thing is a lot of people, one choice on their list always tends to be a sort of creative or something that keeps your mind going a little bit. Yeah. Because, you know, you're going to be in a deserted place. There is there, there is always that possibility of insanity kicking in. <laughs> um, this is one of those choices that might stave off that insanity for a while. <laughs> uh, probably. If, and... Um... If I can update my game, am I allowed like a internet connection as long as I yeah, don't like? Yeah, yeah, we'll uh... we'll allow that. We'll allow that. Okay, as long as I don't like tell anyone to come rescue me, I can. Yes, you you know you know you've listened. Yeah. Good job. You know, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you cannot you cannot contact anyone, um, but you can update your game and we can connect. You could even play online with people as long as you're not writing SOS coordinates. Okay. In Minecraft. Well, so then uh, Minecraft would not only be uh, something that's replayable and creative, it'd be my social outlet as well. Um, it would be kind of your last clinging moments to yeah. humanity. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, I, I actually uh, play Minecraft in like spats. Like I'll have like a month where I play it and then like I won't play it for six months and then I'll go back and play it a little bit and then I won't play it for a while again and like I kind of play it with my friends that are like aren't near me and like yeah. uh, so like the other side of the country or whatever um, and one thing that Minecraft does really well is that when you're playing with another person you feel genuinely feel like you're occupying the same space as the other person like you're actually like there with them because like you can, this is your world together yeah because like you can see their head rotate and move you can see what they're looking at you can like glean what they're thinking and like what they're about to do you can like see what tools they're holding or like you, it's kind of like just you can read each other's body language sort of thing you get you see you get what i'm saying yeah absolutely yeah, uh, yeah it's that it's that sense of I'm here with someone else and we're yeah. in this world together. I can, I can, and, and the way, you know, the, the Minecraft character is designed, you know, Steve, mm -hmm. you, he is, you can see exactly what he's doing. His arms are two planks basically. Yeah. And so they either go up or down. So yeah. you can always see what they're doing. And the head is a very big square head. That's very visible. Yeah. by design on purpose so you can see what someone is looking at all the time or pointing at and i think that definitely translates to why it gets on so well with kids as well like yeah. they are able to see very visually easily what their friends are doing or what is happening with the characters and the 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 animals and monsters you interact with the creepers and stuff like that. you can very visually see what is happening like and understand what is about to happen or what is happening um, and obviously the gameplay goes without saying you can, you know, create anything and do yeah. anything. 
So I think the way it's designed in general, it's very easy to understand, even though Minecraft can get as complicated as any as building a computer inside of it. Yeah. Um, it's so visually understandable that you definitely feel like you know the people who are there because you can tell what they're looking at. Or if you're talking and they're like, hey, look at this mine, and then you look at them and you look where their head is looking. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I can, I can see it. Like, I can see where they're looking. Yeah. Which even... is different to... Triple A games where everything maybe gets blurred in oh, yeah. together. It's Maybe a little just, difficult. And like people's hands aren't even synced up and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or that, or you know, if you're playing like a shooter or like a squad shooter, and people are wearing like helmets or masks, and you can't see their face, and you don't know where they're looking, and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a little more mm, blended together. Yeah, there's even been like a couple instances where I've been like uh, in the game, and then I've seen someone like turn around. And then, so I've turned around and well as well, and like seen a creeper, and then started running. It's, it's kind of like animals in the wild when like one of them notices a predator, and then the other one turns around. And and like, oh. you're like, you look at someone, and, and he's not he's not saying anything, but all of a sudden his head just turns the other way, and he yeah, starts yeah. running away. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Oh, better better hightail it out of here. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can take Minecraft with you. It's definitely quite obvious, you know why you would take Minecraft to, to a deserted place. But, you know, that sense of social, even if you're not able to communicate with them, being able to sort of, you know, yeah, get just being visual the same cues space. from them. And, the, yeah, seeing their face and having that sort of mental switch in your brains that's like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm occupying a space with someone. We are there together. So you can take that with you. Oh, great. Great. <laughs> we're going to move on to the next game which is the second to last game on Shane's list and we're going back to Nintendo and RPGs um, but this game is not developed by Nintendo itself it's developed by one of those once again sort of umbrella corporations under Nintendo and my own personal favourite uh, which is Intelligent Systems so let's listen to some music from this next game let's of course dive straight into the second to last game on Shane's list Second to last game on Shane's list, then, as I said, is developed by Intelligent Systems, a game company that is responsible for some of Nintendo's most famous uh, franchises at the moment, Fire Emblem, Advance Wars, and this series happening to be the Paper Mario series. But we're kicking it all off with not the first game, but definitely probably the fondest fan game in the series. It's the GameCube title that released in 2004 that was produced by Miyamoto. Once again, the man just cannot do anything wrong, it seems, because this game, Paper Mario of the Thousand Year Door, is a fantastic game, and the one that Shane's going to be taking with him. 
Shane, Paper Mario, the Thousand Year Door. What a game. What a game indeed. I think this is the second or third time it's appeared now. So you're, you're not alone. You're not alone. Definitely in thinking that this game is fantastic. Yeah. So I would take it with me because I want one game, at least one game on this list that I know can make me laugh. And Paper Mario can definitely <laughs> make me laugh. And, and to Still be honest, to this day? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll forget all the jokes. Don't worry about it. I'll go back and they'll be brand new again. Um, but this spot, honestly, it could have been the original Paper Mario or even Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. I like juggled around like which one I was going to pick because they're all yeah. they're all really good uh, Mario games with like comedy aspects to them. They all have a sense of humor. That's yeah. what I've noticed about all the Mario RPGs. I don't know whether it is Nintendo like to flex their comedic muscles, but for some reason, it's always the Mario RPGs get that get all the comedy. Uh, well, it's um, I think Intelligent Systems made all of them. Um, is it Intelligent Systems that also do the Mario and Luigi games? Yeah. Oh wait, is it? Hmm. No, I don't. I don't think they do the Mario and Luigi games. I think the Mario and Luigi games are. Uh, is it Nintendo themselves? I don't think it's Nintendo themselves, because I just <laughs> I did a Mario and Luigi video uh, like a month ago, and I forgot who. Did. <laughs> but it wasn't Nintendo themselves because they had to make their own DS development. Alpha kit. Dream. Alpha, Alpha Dream. Dream. There you go. It's Alpha Dream. Okay. Yeah, Alpha Dream have always done the Mario and Luigi. Okay. But yeah, but I get exactly what you are saying. It's um. The, the comedy and the, 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 for some reason, the humor, I don't know whether it's because an RPG has more text in it and you have to set up these funny situations, but the same thing happened with, you know, Super Mario Saga, like, uh, you know, and has happened with, you know, Partners in Time and all the Mario and Luigi games and also the Paper Mario games. There just seems to be some running theme of comedy through all of the RPG games. Yeah, I think you probably just have to put some, like, comedy in there because it's, like, such a ridiculous thing to have Mario in an RPG. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it, he's the guy who jumps around and all of a sudden he's stood still while you're selecting things from a menu. <laughs> you, you have to have some comedy in there to, like, make it work, I think. Um, but, yeah, so... I basically chose this because I wanted, I wanted um, an RPG that was not just like turn-based, had some like uh, some more like action to it. So like the action commands in Paper Mario and the Mario and Luigi games, as well as the comedy, I think is what makes them really good. Um, yeah. And I just wanted another RPG on my list, <laughs> even though <laughs> even though it's already been like free. But you've only got eight, so that's a good chunk of your yeah, available list it is. to well, be RPGs. The two kind of games that I play the most probably are platformers and RPGs. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, you're speaking to the the choir here. Like, it definitely seems to be my. Yeah. sort of areas as I well it, um i think if you like nintendo you kind of relegate it to liking the, <laughs> those two genres <laughs> it's weird because you don't really associate rpgs with nintendo the company themselves 
But yeah, it's all the spin-offs. It's all the spin-offs, or it's it's the hardware like the you know the Super oh, yeah. Nintendo has some of the best RPGs of all time. The DS has amazing RPGs on that, and you know the Game Boy Advance had Golden Sun and had the original uh, part, um, Superstar Saga. Um, yeah, it's weird. Nintendo themselves don't particularly make RPGs, but they give their IPs to all these companies that just do such wonderful work with under Nintendo's guiding influence um, to make just these great RPGs. And oh, the Paper Mario series, you know, started out so strong. And, you know, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened with both the Mario & Luigi and Paper Mario uh, games. I think the Mario & Luigi games... Yeah, I think the Mario & Luigi games have stayed pretty strong. I thought um, Bowser's Inside Story was a great game. Oh, I thought yeah. that was really good. Um, and that wasn't that long ago. And obviously they've just remade Bowser's Minions. The, oh, yeah. The, the, the remake remade... of the original. Yeah, of the original. Um, but with Paper Mario, you know, yeah. that's basically <laughs> all I can really say about that. Well, they kind of did color... a... They kind of did a bait and switch because they kind of made us feel like we were getting another traditional Paper Mario, and then it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, it wasn't, and um, and you know the the sticker star, yeah, just was not Paper Mario at all. It had like this completely different combat system and stuff like that. And although Color Splash, I think, was a lot better, I think Color Splash was a pretty good game, um. Which is the last one for the mm-hmm. Wii U, and it looks beautiful. It. Such a fan- it's a fantastic looking game as well. Just the battle system, it's not the Paper Mario. It's more like nice. Star and it has you have to cut out and use these the gamepad yeah. in weird ways, and yeah, it just it just I, wasn't the same. I just want to tap some buttons to a beat and time my moves and stuff like that. I don't want to draw stuff or shake my hand around while I'm playing a Paper Mario game. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely changed. The series has changed. Uh, I don't know whether, whether it'll change back anytime soon. Um, um, maybe. I think they the definitely Switch... heard all the complaints. Yeah, the one thing I do like about the Switch itself is the gimmick of the Switch is outside of the gameplay idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how to describe yeah, it. I know, like, yeah, I know ex- exactly Wii's what you're gimmick, saying. The uh, Wii's gimmick affected the gameplay. Yeah. It was a motion control gimmick. The Wii U's gimmick was that you had this screen, at these two screens, like the DS, but you could also touch it and use a stylus to do things yeah, with it. But the Switch, Whereas you can the, only use one screen, so the getting rid of use, the gimmick. Yeah, the getting rid of the The gimmick itself is... The way you interact with the console itself, which is not the way you would interact with the game. Like, yes, it has these these Joy-Cons that are like motion control things and it has this HD rumble. But there's only so far you can do with that that you can't really base a game around it. Unless it's something like a pack-in, which is, you know, like 1-2-Switch or something. Um, so it, even though it has this touchscreen, it has these things, they, they've limited themselves to having to make more traditional experiences. As we've seen yeah, with I see where you're going Breath with of this. the Wild. Uh, you know, even Mario Odyssey, they've tried to shoehorn all of these motion controls in, but you can just ignore them. Like, I understand the whole wanting to throw a cap aspect, but after you've done it, like, twice, you're yeah. just like, fuck it, give me the pro controller. <laughs> I want to just have a normal experience. And Nintendo have to cater to that now, so... So now when they the make future... a new Paper Mario game, they can't put the gimmicks in. 
they can't. They more they have to rely going back to that more traditional sort of bell system, and they have to make something that is you know both accessible on the TV and also in portable mode. So uh, RPGs get, are great for that. You're getting my hopes up, Liam. I, I am. I tend to do. That. I'm quite <laughs> optimistic. I'm an optimistic person. You see, that's the problem. Um, but yes, we will. We can only hope. We can only um, hope. Um, one thing. Oh, sorry. Can, can no, no. Go ahead. Absolutely, I, go ahead. I was just gonna say one thing that you mentioned that's definitely true. I think, for the time at least, every Paper Mario game has looked great. Yes, and that's, that's one a, yeah. thing about uh, Thousand Year Door. Uh, I think a lot of the environments, even today, look nice and just pleasant to be in. So that was another thing that I was thinking about when I was choosing somewhere to go. Because, uh, sorry, choosing a game to play and take with me. Because I yeah. could just go to somewhere that looks nice in the game because it has all these varied environments, like a nice-looking yeah. snow place and a beach and desert and forest and all this stuff. So if I well, ever wanted this... a change of visuals, I could just walk around in Thousand Year Door and go to a new area. Exactly. That's one thing you're kind of always guaranteed in a, in a Mario RPG is all these various worlds and all these different, wildly different environments that... You're just like, you know what? I, I kind of fancy switching it up. I want like a hot place today. I'm just gonna, just gonna go relax in like a, a, a hot world or something. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna just look at that, and I'm gonna feel warm. And then if it's too hot, I can get cold again. I can go to like a snowy mountain or something, and just just switch it up, as you said. And it all looks great. Like still the aesthetic of the art direction for GameCube games. Like you know, even looking at the Wind Waker. Just, I don't know what it is. Nintendo just fucking pull it out. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> everyone's everyone's going to be groaning once again listening to this about me just fucking going on about it. But it's true. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. They somehow pull it out. And, you know, even with Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild on a console that you literally can play anywhere, they have games that look that good. It's... God bless Nintendo. <laughs> I'm gonna change this to Final Nintendo Game yeah. Podcast. Oh, uh, people, um, people give me flack about that as well. They're just like, "Why are all your videos Nintendo videos?" Because they're pretty much the biggest video game maker yeah, exactly. in the world. They've been making games for like 30 years. They have interesting IPs. Like, literally, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Pretty <laughs> like, much, pretty much, exactly. There are fantastic, fantastic fantastic games out there like you know we've spoken about mass effect we've spoken about minecraft there are fantastic games out there but there is a reason why the two games nintendo have released this year that are first party including splatoon 2 have reviewed at like 98 97 as an aggregate score like there is a reason (laughs) they make good games they are pretty much the greatest video game maker in the world and you can't really argue about that whether it's not your thing i can understand but at a very core gameplay mechanic level they know what they're fucking doing <laughs> and then everything else falls into place whether it's art or music or whatever it just all falls into place but okay okay we hear you we hear you less nintendo chat so we'll move on to the last game on Shane's list which is a game i have no idea about it's a game i've never played um I have heard of, but I've never played this game, and I think it's a you know it's a great game to finish on because you obviously have some 
very specific reason why to take it or some memory about it because it's not it's not an average game i don't think many people will have heard of it at all so let's listen to some music from the final game on shane's list and let's of course send him away So the final game on Shane's list is a game that was developed by a company called Infinite Interactive um, and published by D3 Publishing, which is quite a quite a big publisher. It released um, originally for the PSP and DS in March of 2007, uh, but it's, it's since gone on to be on PC, Xbox Live Arcade, PlayStation 2, Wii, PlayStation pretty much everything you can imagine. Um, it's a puzzle game. Uh, that was developed by this Australian company, and it sort of combines like role-playing elements with like strategy and puzzle um, to be a sort of kind of RPG. But it's a game called Puzzle Quest: Challenge of the Warlords. Shane, why is this the last and final game you're going to be taking with you? <laughs> so I imagine this hasn't been on anyone else's list before. <laughs> no, it has not. Uh, <laughs> All right. So it's for people who haven't. Uh, heard about Puzzle Quest uh, Challenge of the Warlords specifically because there's more than one Puzzle Quest game and they're all pretty different uh, Puzzle Quest Challenge of the Warlords is an RPG uh, but instead of having traditional turn-based battles the battle interface is a match-free puzzle game and you and your energy take uh, enemy take turns matching up objects on the board and if you match three or more skulls you do damage to each other or if you match three or more elements you get magic based on that element that you can use to like cast spells attack heal or get stat boosts and stuff uh and it's like a, it's just a really solid rpg and a really solid puzzle game rolled into one and it's genius honestly i'm surprised no one had done it before But another thing is, I really love match-free games, <laughs> because I'm a filthy casual. Um, and I like them because I can just play them and space out and like just go on autopilot and just like chill out. And um, I get that same sort of experience with Puzzle Quest. Uh, but it also has some really tough battles that you have to plan and strategize for. So it's like a, a relaxing game and uh, an intense challenging game as well when you have to fight bosses. So knowing all of these things then, because uh, what I've read about Puzzle Quest in in the time between your list and sort of now and sort of having a look at it, because I've heard about it before, 
it's quite inspired by like Bejeweled and, and other games like that. Um, another one was like Zookeeper. You know, you said you like like match three games and stuff. Um, did you play games like Bejeweled as well? Uh, like oh, yeah. Games like that. Definitely. Are you a big fan of those types of games? Yeah, I love uh, match three games. Um, Bejeweled. It's kind of why I like why Puzzle Quest caught my eye in the first place. I was like, "Ooh, what's that? That looks like Bejeweled." And then I started playing it, and I was like, "Wow, this is like a really deep game with like a massive like overworld map that you can like move through." And like fight enemies and like conquer castles and stuff. It's like it's weird because like, I think Bejeweled was like one of the big hits for like Xbox Live Arcade, and so many people were playing it at the time, and people were looking for something like that. I was even reading that the the creator of Puzzle Quest, um, I think his name is Steve Faulkner or something like that, um, he became hooked on Bejeweled and was playing it during the development of this game, and he kind of almost changed the entire game because he was so inspired by Bejeweled. He said he wanted to create something that was Magic the Gathering combined with Bejeweled. Surprising at all. <laughs> is that exactly what Puzzle Quest that's is? Pre- that's pretty much what it is. It's like, it's like <laughs> a... It's literally just like an RPG, but the interface is a match-free puzzle game. <laughs> That's, that's pretty much it's, what it is, and it's fantastic because you still take turns. It's like a turn-based RPG. Um, if you match three skulls, you attack your opponent, or if you match three elements, you get magic related to that element that you can use to cast spells. Uh, do you, do you? It's weird because I'm very bad at puzzle games. Like <laughs> I, I think we we spoke about it in like the Pikmin segment. I get quite stressed out. I just I don't know whether my brain doesn't work on a sort of level where it can even deal even with like match free puzzle games. They're like really like, simple. It, 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 like that's fine and stuff like that. Like I yeah. played like Puzzle and Dragons and stuff like that. Obviously oh, yeah. being here in Japan, I, I'm quite um, subjected to constant advertisements for match three <laughs> games here in Japan. Uh, but I don't know what it is about puzzle games themselves. Like I, I've, I always like when it comes to like tactical RPGs and stuff like that. I always feel like, hot damn, I'm the general. I'm the, I'm the smartest <laughs> dude here. But puzzle games for some reason make me feel dumber than dumber than shit. I don't know what it <laughs> what it is about them. Just and when imagine, I look like, uh, just imagine you're the general over the little <laughs> circles of colored orbs. Yeah. <laughs> but when I look at a screen from like Puzzle Quest. Looks incredibly complicated. It's really, really not. It has like the middle screen, which has like all the yeah. orbs, but it has these death skulls. Yeah. And then it has this lightning and these text, and then you have the two characters, and they have health bars, and yeah. they have different attacks depending on the orbs that you've so like, acquired. So like, just uh, just ignore like the puzzle part in the middle. <laughs> right. Ignore the whole. Yeah, game. yeah. Just so, just like, just ignore <laughs> ignore like the match-free game board. And just focus on everything else. Okay. If you do that, you just go, oh, it's an RPG. <laughs> so all you're doing is instead of taking turns and selecting uh, menus, you're making maneuvers on the board. So like like I said, if you match three skulls, that's an attack. And so instead of clicking attack on the menu, you're matching three skulls. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, so basically it's like an ATB battle system that you have to align everything to work. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, okay, that makes a little more sense. It's still very intimidating to me. I don't know why. Um, Puzzle games, they scare me. It starts off scare very easy. 
Like, I think the first enemy in the game, you fight, like, a scarecrow that doesn't even fight back. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, more my, that's yeah, more my liking. Yeah, so you can, you can, uh, you can like, tune yourself into it that way. <laughs> so there, there seems to have been, like, an iOS and mobile port for this game. Have you, like, picked that up or you tried to play it? Or you play the PC game? Oh, I, I just, uh, I just, like, play the PC one and just, like, zone out and just... Just like relax. It's like a uh, puzzle games are really relaxing to me. I'm not sure why. <laughs> it's like the, we're like opposites there because they stress you yeah, out, but are. they relax me. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they, they, well, wh- whatever floats your boat. It, it, you know, everyone is different. Uh, <laughs> but it does look very interesting, and I like the idea. Like, I always love. People trying something that seems crazy. Like, the idea of Bejeweled with Magic the Gathering with RPG elements is like, yeah. hey, why who, the fuck yeah. not? Just who, do it. Who would dream that up? Yeah, <laughs> some fever dream of some guy <laughs> who is addicted to Bejeweled who knows how to make Magic the Gathering. Exactly. Um, yeah. But that's the thing. It's just try it and see what happens. And then, obviously, it ends up being such a important game for someone like yourself who then you know decides to take it with them forever because it has left such a unique and special a mark on on you as uh, as a gamer so it uh, it i love it when people just really well from what i remember i think i was reading that the ds one like they sold so much that they couldn't meet the demand i think it was like featured in a penny arcade comic as well and just like exploded um and people people were saying oh yeah you know it's sold out everywhere the ds version and stuff like that so Obviously, did pretty well. Um, I don't know whether it received any. Uh, I think it got pretty sequels. good reviews. I was looking at it earlier, and I think on Metacritic, it's got like an eighty. Oh okay. Oh, that's p- pretty good then. Like, yeah. You know, for this crazy wacky. Yeah. For for this like fever dream of an RPG that's a, <laughs> that is bejeweled, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm glad I well, could like uh, end my list with a curveball. Yes, I always love a curveball. And, you know, your list has featured some games that have never appeared on the show before. Even when the word Nintendo gets thrown around and we, we can hear the groans from here. I can hear them in Japan. But, yes, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and having this curveball as, as an ending. I'm a, I'm a, you know, it's been such a pleasure having you and talking to these games, Shane. I'm, afra- I'm afraid to, and disappointed that I have to send you away now. Uh, I'm flattered. It's it's been so enjoyable getting to gush a little more. Uh, I'm still recovering games. from that intro you gave me. Oh, uh, which one? The part you didn't like, or the, uh, <laughs> the part all of it? <laughs> it was it was too complimentary. <laughs> but it's very true. You've done incredibly well for yourself, and you're doing very exciting things. That, as someone who is a big fan of games in general and loves the history of games, and as someone who is a game creator myself and especially now i live in japan and i am so fortunate enough to be friends with so many people who have featured in your videos like it's it's been quite incredible to almost go back and rewatch some did you know gaming about japanese creators who i've been drinking with or <laughs> um uh, I know most recently there was one that featured uh, Dylan Cuthbert in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I've become really good friends with Dylan recently and oh, Mark, cool. who works at Q Games. And 
so seeing all this and seeing my friends in your videos and stuff like that and seeing people I know has always been incredibly exciting to me since I moved to Japan. Um, so, you know, the kind of content you make respects the work they do and you, you know, you're, you're giving it to a bigger audience. So these guys, you know, the games they make and the exposure they get from that is so fantastic. So thank you so much for doing that respected choices of life decisions <laughs> you're being too you're being too complimentary again i'm not no, used i'm to sorry being in this yeah place. i know i know i'm british I, it's easy for me to give compliments it's not easy to accept them isn't it yeah <laughs> it's so easy to give compliments just not accept them but shane yes thank you so much for appearing on the show today it's been an absolute pleasure to finally get you here oh, and and talk to you about on. this one no this it's one. an absolute pleasure thank you so please before you go you have to answer one last question and it's the question I have to ask all my guests before they leave, which is, if you could take one console with you, considering we've spoken about games today, if you can only take one console with you to uh, the deserted place, to the, the, uh, the Pokemon world of Kanto, um, if you can only take one console with you, what would you take? Can't um, take PC, because can't, you can't take a PC, because it plays everything. Yeah. Um, hmm... I'm going to be sneaky and try and get as much as I can in one system. Um, and I'm going to say 3DS. Because so you can get the DS and 3DS games in there. Because it can play all the DS games and then it has an eShop with all Game Boy, Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance Virtual Console. Oh, sneaky. Very sneaky indeed. But... We can allow it because that's what the console's built for and that's what's on the console. So you can take that with you alongside these wonderful A games that you've chosen today. Such great and exciting games. So please tell the wonderful people who have listened so far and got through this whole entire episode where they can find you on the internet and what of yours they should be checking out. I think by now they should all be Googling Did You Know Gaming and what they should be doing. Well, if they've managed to make it without like just turning the podcast off, because <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, it's just underscore Shane Gill underscore because somebody else took Shane Gill. Um, <laughs> or you could find me on YouTube. Just Google Did You Know Gaming. It'll be there somewhere. And also, Did You Know Movies and VG Oh, yeah, yeah. As well. Did You Know you Movies? That's on the Film Theorist channel, and then we also have Did You Know Gaming 2, which is the second Did You Know Gaming channel, which does uh, videos three times a week now. Yeah, yeah, you guys have been pumping out content from that channel. It's quite incredible, and they're like four or five minutes each as well. It's such continually, continually good stuff. So Continuously Shane, thank stressful and wearing me down. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling all too well. For Shane, thank you so much for the stuff you've been doing. And thank you so much for appearing on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope we get to chat again soon. Um, but until then, thank you. And thank you so much for you guys listening to this episode of Final Games once again. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, you can find Final Games on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Acast, Stitcher, and all those wonderful podcast networks. You can find me, Liam, on Twitter, at LiamBME. You can also find the show, at Final Games Show. Uh, and, you know, if you're on iTunes or anything like that, you can rate and review the show. Uh, it always helps out, uh, which is great. Um, I think that's pretty much it for housekeeping today. So thank you once again for listening to this episode of Final Games. And I hope to see you again next time. And until then, goodbye. <laughs>